Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and wow, I haven't seen a motorcycle scene that cool since Jet Li's The One. <laughs> no, Jet Li's okay. The One. Okay, anyway. okay. Joining. Okay. I thought you were going to go for Mission Impossible 2, but okay. <laughs> or Torque. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. I also believe piggyback rides are the truest form of bro love. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. This podcast is like a friendship between a wild storm and an erupting volcano. <laughs> but how will it end? But how will it end? <laughs> Those are, of course, all very vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing RRR. The International Sensation, directed and written by S.S. Rajamuli. It's streaming right now in its Hindi form on Netflix. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Support this show at patreon.com slash filmpodcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. This week on the After Dark, we're going to be discussing Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom uh, to prepare for the arrival of Jurassic World Dominion. Last week, we covered Jurassic Park 1. This week, we're covering Jurassic Park 5, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Next week, it's going to be Jurassic World Park 6, Jurassic World 3, whatever. You know, it's confusing. Jurassic World Dominion. It's going to be the next week review. Anyway, so sign up for uh, those episodes, those exclusive After Darks at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Uh, I, I recently put a uh, the uh, Tom Cruise After Dark on the main feed. Got a lot of... Uh, Got a lot of feedback for that one, didn't we? Huh? <laughs> a lot of feedback yeah, for that. Just, uh, folks uh-huh. responded. It seems. Yeah, people people opinions. had really strong opinions about whether or not like Tom Cruise is still a sex symbol. We just need to have an inflammatory opinion on every like every episode or podcast, and that's yes. how you keep the engagement up. Well, okay, mm-hmm. all you guys got to do is just be wrong as vehemently <laughs> as you were, and wow, uh, no, you want a thing where it's perfectly divided because I think that is kind <laughs> of where. We are, and both sides are both arguing for it. And I think we figured out how Fox News kind of does business. Oh, yes. <laughs> totally. Get people here's, angry. Here's yeah. my position after reading the uh, n- incredible amount of- Voluminous. Of, Voluminous. Yes, the opinions on either side. I, I think it's kind of hard. I think you guys would have to uh, acknowledge that if there is any percentage of folks <laughs> that think he is, then he is, Right. Just because you I, I personally don't believe in absolutism, don't. Jeff. Sorry. Well, just but by virtue of the fact that any percent, even if it was like ten percent, twenty percent, like mm-hmm. to those people, uh-huh. he is. And just because it isn't to you, it's not a subjective decision. It's uh, like I, I'm talking about majorities here. Like, yeah, majority, I, I think majority broadly, broadly, majority, broadly, exactly. Yeah. People in are the, just in sick the main. shit, Jeff. Well, like, in the I'm main, not gonna, yeah. it, I'm not it does give 10% feel anything. It does feel like it's close to to fifty fifty. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And in that in that sense, I just feel like you have to acknowledge that there's a large portion of people that still do, and clearly the movie still does. So here's here's what I will acknowledge, Jeff, is the vehemence with which people think they are right is extremely strong. It's not. There's no one that's like. Oh, guys, I think maybe you want to reconsider. It's more like, wow, Dave wow, and Devendra wow. are like so freaking wrong. You know, it's yeah. like. It's yeah. very, very strong. Or uh, Jeff is a crazy person. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, yes. Well, it's so, also, it is, uh, I've, I've noticed a lot of people are just aren't listening to the full argument, too. So it's like, it is kind of like the Avatar thing, where <laughs> we will we will say our points, and then it'll get misconstrued through the game of telephone to where, uh, you know, people come up with their own minds uh, on certain things. But hey, uh, it's a fun chat. 
it, it turns out that Tom Cruise is Schrodinger's sexiness. Indeed, indeed. He's well, both spe- sexy and not sexy at the same time. Yeah. Well, do you know who's probably finding Tom Cruise extremely sexy? Paramount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because Top Gun Maverick has a ch- has a at this moment as we're recording this has an extremely solid chance at being the number one film. Yeah. At the domestic box office this summer. We're ruined. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's it's truly. I mean, people are like, you know, uh, apologize to Jermaine, which yes, he clearly we yeah. owe him an apology for how Jermaine did not guess number one. Yes, okay. exactly. That's the point I was about to get to. It's like even even Jermaine was like, no, there's no human that thought this was going to happen. I, I mean, and this trajectory, I think Jermaine put Doctor Strange above Top Gun Maverick, right? Um, at this trajectory, you can follow along at the yeah. summermoviewager.com, but at this trajectory, it, it, it is very likely going to be Dr. Strange at minimum, at mm-hmm. minimum. Um, it, it currently has $295 million domestic. Um, it, it dropped, I think around 20 to 30% in its second weekend, which is like the lowest drop for any movie. In history, that made over a hundred million dollars in its first weekend. It's crazy. It is the most amount of movie in its second weekend that any movie under a hundred <laughs> that, that, that any movie that made under one hundred seventy-five million dollars in its opening weekend made. Right. So it's like basically like it made a lot of money in its opening weekend and a lot of money in its second weekend. That's in short. I'm summarizing what I just said. Right. Like people are coming out, and I'll say me personally, I, I've seen the film three times already. Yeah, you're part of the problem, Dave. You're making us <laughs> I, look bad. I, I want to uh, get in those IMAX showings before Jurassic World Dominion takes over. Mm. You know? It's um, it's extraordinary. It, it, I, I think you know we we uh, listeners to the show are allowed to play along at the summermoviewager.com. We had we had hundreds, if not thousands, of people submitting their own top tens. I would venture to guess. I don't have proof of this, but I'd venture to guess zero people put that movie number one. <laughs> Zero of those hundreds or thousands, right? Yeah. I I mean, I think the thing is, and we'll talk about this more when we do our like wager postmortem episode, but like you you have to remember when this movie was supposed to come out two to three years ago, we had seen tons of legacy sequels, many of which didn't do that well. You know, there was like, um, I'll give an example, Blade Runner 2049. Okay. Independence Day Resurgence, right? Those are both kind of like reboots. Uh, similar in tone and bringing back the original cast. Uh, and, and those movies both tanked, right? And those just, that's just two examples, right? So there have been many examples of movies that tried to do something like what Top Gun Maverick did and failed horribly. And so there's it's just like, no barometer for it. There's no, right. like even Tom Cruise movies, you can't yes. judge by any of the Mission Impossibles lately. Any, any There's no barometer that would have predicted this. Tom, Tom Cruise's movies, like, Mission Impossible movies were the best performing ones of Tom Cruise movies in general. And even those movies came nowhere close to this, right? Like, yeah. compare his, forget about the rest of his filmography. Like, putting aside Mission Impossible movies, you know, he, he was doing way worse than that. And this movie completely blows the Mission Impossible movies out of the water. What is encouraging about this, though, is this probably means Mission Impossible 7 is going to make a shit ton of money, which I'm, I'm very happy about. Well, I'm certainly, they, they feel a lot better about spending a shit ton of money for it, which is what they <laughs> yes. have done. Uh, the, the other thing that's wild is this could so easily have been a straight to streaming movie. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. like that's wild to think about it. This movie it was is, well, his sheer willpower. Stop yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It, 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 yeah. it's, it was like getting stale on a shelf for yes. years. Costing the studio millions of dollars by yes. sitting on the shelf. Yeah. And, and it could so easily have just, we would never have known how many people were super into this movie. We would have just been like, wow, it's number one on Netflix or something. You know, right. it's like, it's crazy. And it just shows you like how uh, theatrical releases can make something into, it's easy to forget after the last couple of years, but theatrical releases can make things into a cultural phenomenon. Kim Kardashian has seen this movie three times, guys. Kim yeah. Kardashian. How do you know this? Uh, they text, she, they she text Instagram, each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, you know, she Instagram storied about it and, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Kardashian Insta story. So, uh, <laughs> there was a, there was a Hollywood reporter article called the real mission impossible saying no to Tom Cruise written by Kim Masters. Well, now, now it really is going to be impossible. Yeah. To say no to Tom oh, Cruise. well, Seriously. so this whole thing was about how, you know, Paramount has like a six week thing where, um, a movie will be in theaters for six weeks and then it goes on Paramount Plus, right? And Tom Cruise is like, F no, I'm not allowing that for my movies, right? And he thinks it should be a three-month window and everyone's like, everyone's like, no, 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 Tom Cruise, like you have to understand, like a movie makes most of its money in the first 45 days, blah, 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 you know? And he's like, nope, not not gonna hear it. And the the article ended with this quote. So, so they've basically been arguing over the massive budget of Mission Impossible 7, which I think at this point is like $290 million or something ridiculous like that. Um, the, the the release schedule for Mission Impossible 7 and 8. And so there's been a lot of like studio turmoil over these movies, how they're getting made, what their budgets are, when they're going to release, how they're going to be released. Um, and I, I will never forget this quote that this, this uh, article ended with. It said, quote, a veteran of Tom Cruise movies laughs when asks... Um, how the head of the studio is likely to fare in his arguments with Tom Cruise. This is the way these things go, he says. Tom says what he wants, and the studio says what it wants, and then Tom gets what he asked for. <laughs> <laughs> now more than ever, I'm sure. And that it's was like... before Top Gun Maverick came out. Yeah. When Can you imagine the, the meeting now when he just walks <laughs> in the room he's like, yeah. yeah. I own the studio now. This is my... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, the... There, the, 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 the Runaway success this movie opens up a ton of other possibilities just in the Hollywood world. Like maybe there's going to be some Oscar love for this movie, you know, like yeah, may, wow. maybe some kind of recognition that this movie helped to save theaters. Um, <laughs> the Oscar for saving cinema. Yeah. Huh. I, I will say that the, the uh, statistic that did trouble me is this past weekend, um, theatrical receipts were down 20% roughly compared to the same weekend in 2019, so before COVID even happened. Well, and that yeah, is because there's just not that many COVID. movies coming out, right? Yeah. There's not that many movies coming out. People aren't going to see movies because there's not that many of them. Um, the, studios are very much in a one movie at a time mentality mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. You know, like uh, when the Batman came out, it's like no movies before and after the Batman. You know, when I this also movie think comes out, yeah. That explains why the, the low dip for Maverick, people are just, well, let's just go back and see that again. Yeah. 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 But it's a movie that I think rewards repeat viewings you know like it's it's a fun movie to rewatch again yeah so anyway can i uh, present one other idea that i i don't necessarily even think is true but i think it'd be fun to to bring it up sure okay Um, of course i've been trying to you know analyze this whole situation and 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 explain to myself why this movie right now you know i think there's probably some pent-up uh, pent up desire to see something that's aspirational and positive and fun. And, and it, it is missive the, the sort of nostalgia rub that 
is almost like nostalgia for pre-COVID also. You know, I think there's there's a lot mm-hmm. of that weird sort of nebulous zeitgeist happening. I, I think it's a movie that is, it has extremely broad appeal. It's bringing out Gen Xers to the theaters, and it's kind of the, the plot is simple enough, like people going to do a courageous mission, right? That's the plot. And it's simple enough that it can basically attract people from all across the age spectrum. Yeah, um, but me, so, that brings yeah. me to the premise that I want to present yes, to you. That please, I please. don't necessarily even think is true, but I think would would be kind of amazing if it happened. What if there this movie sort uh-huh. of single handedly ushers in a renaissance of the sort of anti visual effects? Or not even anti-visual effects, but sort of authenticity mm-hmm. in cinema. What if it what if the the takeaway here is the thing that Tom Cruise has been spouting a lot in in a lot of the uh, making of and behind the scenes and sort of marketing around it, which is that like, you know, there's actual people in these jets and the audiences can feel the difference when it's a real thing. And there's mm-hmm. this backlash to, you know, the the Marvel slash any blockbuster sort of CGification of it. Not that I'm against CG in yeah. any way, but wouldn't it be wild to see a bunch of movies, a sort of like shift in what big budget Hollywood movies are to this more, this different kind of filmmaking. And you just like, I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah. I present it as a, what if it's not even I, different. It's just what they used to do. Yeah. You know, it's like how we used to make movies, except now we could put cameras in more places. And I I don't know, because we are also at the same time revolutionizing ways of virtualizing entire sets and, you know, uh, right. putting people, you know, putting actors in scenes who aren't anywhere together, like shooting scenes completely remotely and things like that. Like for I would love for that to be the big takeaway. But I feel like studios are just like, well, look at Tom Cruise and Top Gun is back let's let's like a sequel more things this one worked let's do all of them right i so here here are my thoughts on that that jeff um number one i would love if that happened i don't think it will i would love if it happened though i i think the circumstances under which a movie like maverick gets made are basically irreplicable or or not not replicable hard to replicate hard to Mm -hmm. replicate um and i i can sum the entire thing up in the interaction that tom cruise and uh Ed Harris have at the opening of that film, yeah. Uh, which Ed Harris plays a character named Kane, and he basically says, "In the future, um, planes will be unmanned. They won't, you know, the pilots won't need to take a piss. They won't disobey orders. Right. Um, your kind is headed for extinction." And uh, Maverick, Tom Cruise's character, says, "That may be so, sir, but not today." Yeah. And that that sums up the entire ethos of the movie, in my opinion. Yeah, we think is, we, we, we basically just got one more day of this movie, but right. no, <laughs> we're definitely done. Jeff, like, a, we've 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 been having this conversation too about like big screen, right? What is going to get people back to the theaters? And I think if anything, the gears are turning to be like, okay, we need we need a bent movies, right? We need mm-hmm. big things again. If it's special effects, if it's big stars, if it's doing IMAX in ways we've never seen before, like I do hope that there is more of that. Because that yeah, is will get people there. Yeah. I agree. Well, Again, I, I hope I hope that the 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 future that you describe comes to pass. 
Um, but to me, it, it doesn't feel like a swan song because we're still going to get, for instance, Mission Impossible 7 and 8. Yeah, as long but, as Tom Cruise is still going, we're going. Right, but. exactly. But the, the thing is, like, there's not that many Tom Cruises left that can no. even demand a movie like this get made. Yeah. Do you know I, what I mean? Also, I just think it would I, be a cool lesson to take away from this that, yes. like, young star... Let's find the young Jackie Chan, the young, mm-hmm, you know, yes. like, the young, like, person mm-hmm. who does their own stuff. I think that would be a cool thread yeah. to come from this. I, yeah. Again, yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, the other thing that, that supports your point is uh, i just saw the um there's like a sort of half behind the scenes half promotional video that's floating around where there is uh, an interview with jerry bruckheimer who very much looks like a wax statue come to life um (laughs) saying uh no movie has ever been made like this and likely no one ever will again yeah you know it it really does feel like this kind of uh unique thing as as yeah. you said dave well i Almost mean i like, just saw something in the chat room too by the way seated ovation in the chat room points out fury road you know was yeah. mostly practical insane production and right. that same thing right no movie was ever made like this uh that movie by the way did not usher a whole you know yeah, uh, yeah flood exactly. of actual I, physical I stuff yeah I, I fury road used tons of practical yes. effects but it also yeah. used tons of visual effects so i, I mean every, I well, everything uses visual effects i'm not saying no yeah. visual effects yeah yeah, yeah. Tom, uh, uh, maverick did too yeah. get, the, get the cars sure. get actual cars right get right I, exactly i just like want to clarify yeah. i don't think you're saying this Devinger, but there is a yeah. huge sentiment out there that people like Todd Vaziri is doing a good job of like fighting against, which is like, there's a Love lot Todd. of people who are like not very educated and they say things like, oh, all CG is terrible. You know, all CG. St-. And it's like, no, th- there's tons of CG in, in a lot of movies, including Maverick. Yes. You know? 100%. And it's just used more artfully in movies like Maverick and Fury Road. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. bad CG there's, is bad. You know, there's I agree. CG in literally everything. There's yes. CG in literally everything you watch. <laughs> yes. A- a- any, yes. the most banal TV show. <laughs> You yeah. know, Downton Abbey has CG. It's like, right. it's not, yeah. exactly. you're not, it, people think CG is, is, you know, the Incredible Hulk or some big monster fight at the end of a movie. Exactly. Yes, exactly. But that's not the end of CG. And it's a tool in any filmmaker's uh, arsenal. Where do you think those just, backgrounds come from? Um, I, I've watched uh, like unfinished Ted Lasso screeners and it's just like, <laughs> they're just standing in an empty stadium, guys. There's yeah. nothing behind yeah. people in most of these shows yeah. yeah yeah so i just i just don't want cg to get a bad rap that's all i'm saying so um no but, I, I, that's why i yeah. was i was laboring to present it in that way yeah, I, yeah, I didn't yeah exactly exactly so but but i agree I, the thing is tom cruise is right when you have an actual human doing an actual thing the audience can tell right and i think the audience can tell when they watch maverick that it's an actual actual people doing actual things um, and not just on a soundstage and yeah, not a uh, digital stunt person, et cetera. The et cetera. eye can still tell. And it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I think it's kind of a swan song and you know, it's kind of a bummer, but you know, not today, not today. We still get movies like this. It's also weird to me that the Overton window has moved so much on movies <laughs> that like a movie like Top Gun, which in, in a previous era would be conceived of as a soulless cash grab. Is now like wow, that's fresh, you know. <laughs> so wow, what, what what a refreshing um, change of pace from people in tights uh, yeah. <laughs> and suits like uh, hitting each other, you know. I saw people talking sky. about this. Uh, this is where I saw people making fun of the idea of Oscar prospects. It's like, guys, this is a fun movie. Let's uh, let's calm down here. Let's. It's, yeah. it's like we've never seen a movie before. It's like you got to give this movie an Oscar. 
At the same <laughs> time, you know, uh, Mad Max Fury Road is nominated for, I think, 10 Oscars. You yeah, know? So, and deservedly yeah. so. There are yeah. other categories. I'm just talking like Best Picture. I, I don't know about that. I don't it know, is, man. Could it happen. Uh, Could it happen. God. Could it happen. The Academy so, likes money. I, yeah. It, it, it is very ironic that it's like, oh, thankfully we got something that's more back to the authentic nature of cinema, <laughs> like a, a sequel to a 35-year-old movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. Back to the old days. Yeah. Which itself was based on a poster, I think. Anyway. Um, I wanted to read this email um, from Tyler, uh, who is a features editor for Popular Mechanics magazine. Now, in Top Gun Maverick, very minor uh, spoiler, uh, but the enemy has these things called fifth-generation fighters. And I believe on the podcast, we remarked, uh, wow, that's that sounds fake. Now, the enemy is never referred to by name in the movie, right? Uh, and they've referred to their aircraft as just fifth-generation fighters. So it's like, oh, wow, they, they're um, a faceless, nameless enemy, and they have fifth-generation fighters, which also sounds like it's, a, it's completely made up. Um, we got a ton of people emailing in and tweeting at us to correct us and saying, hey, fifth-generation fighters is actually a real thing. Um, so Tyler writes in, he says... Uh, that as an, a features editor of Popular Mechanics Magazine, our brand has a special focus on military technology, and I often oversee reporting about the latest planes, land vehicles, and munitions. I understood your confusion over Top Gun Maverick's fifth-generation fighters and unnamed enemy country, but my work here at Popular Mechanics actually gave me some extra context for those scenes. It sounds hand-wavy in the movie, but fifth-generation fighters are common in military speak. Generally, these are jets made with 21st-century stealth, radar, and avionic technology. Right now, there are three aircraft in the world considered fifth-gen that specialize in air-to-air combat. America's F-22, China's J-20, and Russia's Su-57. Most aviation geeks believe the fifth-gen plane seen in Top Gun Maverick is a Russian Su-57. The biggest clue as to the plane's identity is a maneuver that it makes that I'm actually not going to give away. I'm going to skip over this paragraph, but there's a maneuver that it does, and you'll know it when you see it in the movie. <laughs> but apparently, the real-life plane can actually do the thing that it does in the film. Um, for context, the, Amer- the American fighters in Top Gun Maverick are fourth-gen aircraft, um, and then he goes into some other stuff that I'm not going to spoil as well. But anyway... Uh, in, in we all- need that 5G is what we need. We need that 5G, right. guys. But he, he's saying in, in, in all cases, an SU-57 has a slight technological advantage, mostly in areas of stealth and maneuverability. I hope this adds to your appreciation of Tom Cruise's heroics in the movie. Um, and if you're concerned about Russia's air capabilities, note that there are no SU-57s in active service, just 12 prototypes in reported existence, and none have seen combat. In the meantime, the Air Force is currently testing a sixth-generation fighter that is scheduled for service by 2030, end quote. So uh, the fifth-generation fighter, actually a real thing. I will say that it sounds fake. <laughs> a, you know, yes, it's a real thing, but it sounds fake in the movie. And yeah, it's yeah. like unobtainium. It's like, you can't tell me that's real. Right. I I mean, I I think based on the way the movie handles the quote unquote enemy, Mm -hmm. it is very reasonable to conclude fifth generation fighter things are fake, Um, but they're not. And a lot of people wrote in saying they're not. And so thank you for the explanation. But also because of the movie being hand wavy in its politics, we thought it was hand wavy in its technology. And I think that was a reasonable conclusion, but they're not. They're, they're, They're a real thing. So. Anyway, thank you for all the people that sent that in. Uh, I wanted to clarify. Also, saw the movie uh, a third time again, I, I mentioned this week, and my wife pointed out something uh, that I thought was really interesting, which is that in the movie Top Gun Maverick, uh, Maverick uses progressively older and older aircraft as the movie goes on. 
uh, which if you think of every, I'm not going to give away all the ones, but if you think of every single aircraft he's in in that movie, every the next one is older than the previous one. Um, so <laughs> I just thought that was really interesting uh, because it's kind I of hope. a statement on you know what he's what he's saying about his style mm. of filmmaking and you know mm. his stardom and all that. Yeah, kind of yeah, exactly. So okay, are any of the ones cold? Because I always, a strong bad would say, I hope all your ones are cold. What? <laughs> wow. Forget it. I just flash forward like 20 years. Like flashback, <laughs> like amazing. All right, let's get to what we've been watching. Kid Strong Bad was a web cartoon. For <laughs> a Homestar Runner. Web cartoons were made with a technology called Flash. Yeah, before <laughs> we could see video on TV. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about what we've been watching, folks. Got a few what we've been watching things to go through. I had a chance to see David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future. We actually debated whether to review Crimes of the Future today instead of RRR. Yeah. Uh, I think we made the right choice. Didn't make the cut, you know? Di- didn't make the cut. Okay, I, I mean, I am super glad that, that Crimes joke. of the Future... <laughs> I, I get it. Nice. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, so, Jeff, I'm, I'm going to give away... And listeners, I'm going to give away the premise of Crimes of the Future. So if you don't want to hear the premise, you know, tune out uh, for the next like minute or two. But yeah, we, we almost reviewed Crimes of the Future today. Uh, it's of playing in limited release right now. Uh, I'm really glad this movie is getting a theatrical release, but I think the target audience of this movie is about like 36 people. Um, it is a movie. And all that of takes... them are on watch lists. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> it takes place in the future. It takes place in a future in which, um, human anatomy and physiology is completely different. People are like, people no longer experience pain and some people spontaneously grow organs, which other, you know, in, in a present day world would be perceived to be like a cancerous growth. But, uh, Viggo Mortensen knows how to grow organs better than anyone else. And he and his performance art partner, um, they do an, a, a performance art act where they, cut the organs out of his body live uh, and allow people to watch. That's fun. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. he gets kind of um, entangled in a, in a sort of web of intrigue as a result of his doings. And I'll just leave it at that. So uh, this movie delivered on what I was looking for from a David Cronenberg movie. I mean, it's really weird and messed up and it makes you think about the body and about how we conceptualize what the body is in different ways. And, uh, I really liked it. It's very low budget and it feels very low budget, mm. you know, it because it, it takes place in the future, but you see very few people, you see very few like cityscapes or anything like that. But, you know, Vigo is awesome. Uh, Leah, Leah Sadu is awesome. Uh, Kristen Stewart is in this movie. She's amazing as well. I actually liked what she's doing better in this movie than what she did in Spencer. I thought she's amazing in this That's movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also extremely upsetting it's extremely upsetting some of this imagery okay and uh and if you want that which i frequently do uh you're gonna like crimes of the future and if you don't you're not going to but my brother took his uh took his girlfriend to see this movie and uh what was her reaction uh, she she was not a fan but i also (laughs) would have warned him about what the what they were getting into uh so i'm i'm intrigued i cannot wait to see it I liked it, uh, but it's also not a movie I'd necessarily recommend to, yeah. to anyone. Like I also have like a lot of earlier Cronenberg that I haven't seen yet too, and I hear like this feels like lesser Cronenberg. I don't know if you've seen enough of his early stuff to judge, Dave. Yeah, I would say uh, 
I don't know about lesser. It definitely still has the Cronenbergian essence. You know, it's like deeply unsettling and it has all these like it's brimming with these ideas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I was reflecting on this movie after I watched it. And one thing I said was the plot is my least favorite thing about this movie. Um, what I mean by that is the plot feels very disposable and not that interesting. And what is good about this movie is the ideas and the performances and the visuals. Like that's, what's good about it. And the Mm -hmm. vibe, you know, it's very much a vibe movie. I wonder if he saw possessor, his son's movie was like, I should be doing this. What am I, what am I doing right now? It's been way too long. You know, I like possessor more than this movie. You know, possessor has more of a plot than this movie, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, He's been out of it for a while. Dude was in, he was in Star Trek at one point. He was in Star Trek Discovery, just playing random side characters. So I love that David Cronenberg is still making movies. Yeah, I do he, love he's, that. He, you got to go to see Crimes of the Future just to pay him homage, you know, because he's such a legend. But um, <laughs> this is not my favorite one of his movies. I will say, minor, minor anecdote, I tried to, I have never seen Crash, the David Cronenberg film. And I tried to watch it after this and I could not find a streaming version available for rent uh, or purchase yeah, online. Yeah. You were like, I need more upsetting uh, yes. universes I, for me to be in. I want to see. My appetite was wet for upsetting people, things. People sexually aroused by car crashes. Give it to me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 100%. And um, I couldn't find it online. So I actually bought the uh, Criterion Blu-ray. Uh, and I, I'm going to plan to watch it this week. But uh, maybe I'll talk about it during what we'll be watching. Next week. But anyway, <laughs> Crimes of the Future. Uh, if you like Cronenberg movies, you're going to like this. If you don't like Cronenberg movies, I don't, or you're a, like a normal person, I don't think you're going to like this. Don't watch it with your mom. <laughs> yeah, Are you maybe. normal? Mm, yeah, I don't, it's a good question. <laughs> but it is definitely a movie I recommend for Jeff Kanata's mom. You know? Yes. Definitely yeah. check it out. So Sadly, she's not in town, but uh, missed it by that That'd be much. streaming soon. Don't worry. You've got a theater, Jeff. You can yeah, make it happen. It's true. On a previous episode of the Filmcast, Devinder Hardaway recommended Love, Death, and Robots Volume 3. I checked out a bunch of episodes from Love, Death, and Robots Volume 3. And I liked the David Fincher episode. Like, that was pretty good. But the one I got to call out is the final one called Jibaro. Mm-hmm. Do you see oh, this I one? I also Devinger? watched that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it, directed by Albert Mielgo, it is incredible. This is like one of the most inc- It's a short film, uh, as with all the movies in Love, Death, and Robots. And the best way I can describe it is it kind of tells a story like this fantastical story it reminds me in some ways of the green Knight, probably cause it has mm-hmm. night in it, mm-hmm. but it is shot in the style of a music video, which is really interesting because it's, it's completely CG. And there are all these conventions of music videos, uh, like for instance, like really hard, hardcore handheld shaky cam, for instance, that you don't expect to see in animated films. Uh, and it, the result is something that is just feels really unique and unlike anything else and is super duper intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but incredible I motion capture in that because there's a lot of like dance to it. I so heard everybody... there was, I read on somebody tweeted at uh-huh. me that they did not use mocap for this. Wow. Which I was that one like, looks, wow. it looks so real. Well, yeah. Okay. Incredibly well animated. Um, also, no dialogue in that one too. Like it is a very, it's just pure visual poetry. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, there is an interview where somebody said uh, that it was really impressive that there was mo- like he was being interviewed and um, the question was uh, was it motion capture or was it done manually and he says no it's keyframe animation but wow. he did do uh, uh, animation reference from a choreographer that's so bonkers it was pretty wild it was pretty wild the keyframe that is insane mm-hmm. that's yes. that's wild yeah. so Jeff you saw this as well what did you what'd I you did. Think? 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it it sort of washes over you. Uh, it's a uh, it's an. Ex- I mean, I I didn't love it uh, other than the fact that I was just blown away by the visual mastery mm-hmm. of of uh, a CG animation. It's just and you've never seen CG look like that. Ever. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, it's it's wild, and and to think that's all keyframed is. It must have been so labor intensive. I can't yeah. even imagine. Like, uh, it's wild. It's wild. So, uh, and Davindra, you, you you saw it as well. Uh, you didn't call it out specifically, but I assume you also uh, watched it. Right? I feel, uh, yeah, I forget if I mentioned it, but it is one of the ones I've seen. It is, you know, it's really good. I like it. I think, I feel like narratively, I wish it was a little stronger. It kind yeah. of goes exactly I where I, I thought I it would go. Um, but it, yeah, it, felt like, it felt like if you mm-hmm. added like 10 to 15% more from a story perspective, it yeah. would have like really like added you know there's some yeah. some things we talk about where it's like oh they should have taken away 10 to 20 percent of the story this is like if you gave me a little bit more i would mm-hmm. I w- like mm-hmm. it might have stayed with me more you know it, so, it i mean yeah. it, it felt almost like uh a music video where it's like okay i, I yeah okay this this, mu- this song did not deserve this much <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> fair enough fair enough um okay well that's jabaro it's part of the love death and robots volume three streaming right now on netflix I want to just mention Ricky Gervais's new comedy special, Supernature, which has been attracting a lot of controversy and criticism online because of its jokes about trans people and the LGBTQ. He can't um, stop like sticking his foot in that fire or like poking the fire. uh, LGBTQIA community and things of that nature. Um, I just want to say two things about this this comedy special, which I, I did not enjoy very much. Uh, and I have enjoyed Ricky Gervais's yeah. work in the past. It's pretty. It feels really desperate. I think is the word I'd use for it. Well, there's there's a couple things I I I think. Number one is, and, and you know I I enjoyed extras, enjoyed The Office. I've even enjoyed some of his comedy specials in the past. But number one is there is now a genre of comedy that is comedians reacting to criticism on Twitter that mm-hmm, now becomes mm-hmm. part of the act. Yeah, and. It sucks. And what I mean by that, when I say it sucks, is like the comedy itself is terrible. It is not funny at all. When <laughs> like a, a, a comedian just spends a lot of time being like, and these people tweeted this at me. It's like, I do not give a shit. Like it, yeah. it, 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 it is deathly to the comedic impulse to talk <laughs> unless, about. Unless you have tweets. something incredible to say, do not right. do that. Yeah. Right. So, and Dave Chappelle did this for his last special and like, um, not necessarily Twitter specifically, but like, you know, the reaction to his special and Ricky Gervais has been doing this. And it's just like, it just feels really self-indulgent, unnecessary, and and most importantly, not funny. The other thing that I wanted to say is that Ricky Gervais makes all these, you know, uh, th- theoretically says all these like terrible, objectionable things. And, and then in the special, he points out that, hey... Hey, I don't actually believe those things. I'm saying it, and there is an iron. And he's he's literally saying this in the special. You know, there's irony in the fact that I am saying them because I don't believe them, and they're terrible things. You know, and that's what makes it funny. And there was a Twitter thread online about the guy, and I, I couldn't find it, but it, it, it basically asked the, the following question, which is, "Okay, you're a comedian. You say horrifying things." And people laugh at you and uh, like laugh with you and they give you money and they're like, they, you know, this is funny because you're saying all these horrible things. You're a bore. You're a bore and uh, you're boorish and you're rude and you're outrageous. And, you know, that's why um, 
people are paying you and coming to see you, right? That, that's that's why. But that's but that's not who you really are, you know. And and he's he's relying on that difference, that distance, um, to make it seem like everything's okay for him to say all these things. The question is, if you've been doing that for years, <laughs> at what point does that yeah. become you? Yeah. Does that like? If your whole thing is saying terrible things, you know, and you do that just for years and years and years and years and years and years, and and you're saying terrible things over and over and over and over and over and over again, and it's not like evolving in any particularly interesting way, uh, you're just like an asshole. That's your whole shtick. You're an asshole. Mm -hmm. At what point are you just an asshole? You know, like it's it's an open question. I don't I don't have a definitive answer, but it's what I it's what I thought about. It's like there's people, you know, like I, I guess um. I, I'm trying to think of like what what even would be comparable. I don't know. Like, um, Jeff, uh, you know, help me out here. But like, <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> you're an asshole. <laughs> no, but like, but like, is, is it is that a reasonable like you you've no. been in the performing arts? Is that a reasonable question to ask? Like Andy Kaufman as an example, right? Like, right? Is, is it reasonable? Like, if if your whole thing is acting in an incredibly bizarre way in public or in a way that's like extremely off putting to people, like, at what point is that you? You know, like if, if that's think, the thing you've been doing for years and years and years, is it, you know, is it, is it possible to maintain that separation over like uh, decades? Yeah. I think, right? I think that is kind of an unfair question because I think yeah, that yeah, it, that's, I, I thought you would. So that's what I'm asking. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, I also, yeah. th- I th- I, I'm, I'm not here to defend Ricky Gervais, but in the sure, abstract, sure. Yeah, yeah. In the tell, abstract, me, tell me the abstract. Yeah. I would say there is a, uh, a, a, um, tightrope to be walked that I think is plausible and legitimate from mm-hmm. my perspective yeah. to say that uh and, and i honestly think this is gervais's perspective although i i yes. don't know for sure but mm-hmm. i think what he's trying to say is that when i act the boor yes i am the butt of the joke they i right. you, i'm asking you to laugh at the kind of person that would say these things right that i am saying these things and the reason you are laughing is because what kind of idiot would say those things Right. And I think that's that's the line he's attempting to walk. Now, I can't speak to how successful or unsuccessful he is at it, but I do think that is that is something that I have done in the past, not with such, you know, sort of third raily things, but I, it is right. something I right. do find funny is the the kind of person that says, you know, you say a thing knowing that everybody in the room knows that that's a horrible thing to say. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we're yeah. laughing at the kind of people who say that, not the thing that was said, you know? I, I th- that's exactly why I asked you, Jeff, not because I think you're an asshole all the time or anything, but because I knew you'd have something insightful to say, which you just did, you know? And I agree with you. I think that's what he's going for. And I think he's not very successful. <laughs> I think you know, his like, persona yeah, doesn't play yeah, conversation yeah, exactly. entirely. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. I, you guys, I think, did you guys ever listen to the Ricky Gervais podcast like back in the day? Oh, yeah. 2005. Oh, yeah. yeah. The most and, successful podcast in the world, according to his, you know, self proclaimed. It's a big deal. Right? And, uh, I feel like that really unearthed his like true persona. And a lot of it was just being a dick, you know, like he may perform as a dick, but even when he's just lounging around chatting with his friends, it didn't feel like he was, he was generally performing on that show too much. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think after a certain point, I just realized this guy is just kind of a jerk to everybody. I guess it, that's the stick, except yeah. right now it's potentially dangerous, I guess. And he doesn't understand that part, I guess. It reminds me of like I remember when I was ta- this is a weird like callback but I remember when I was talking to Matt Singer once about do you remember when Joaquin Phoenix had a faux meltdown in public? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And it was what was the movie he made? I'm not here or I'm yeah, not there. Or I something think that's like right. I'm not there. I'm, I'm still here. I think uh, I'm still here is the name of the film directed by Casey Affleck. And Which I, I never ma- saw, by the way, did any of you guys mm-hmm. see that? I saw, no. yeah, we saw uh, yeah, I saw it. I saw it. And, oh, is it and good? I remember, I, I don't, I wouldn't recommend it, but I oh, remember okay. <laughs> it's the crimes of the future of Casey Affleck. Documentaries. <laughs> um, uh-huh. I remember Matt, Matt Singer saying something to me and I was just like, it's like stuck in my brain, like a shard um, where he's been, like Joaquin Phoenix kind of went on David Letterman. Do you, I don't know if you remember this, but kind of like mm-hmm. had a meltdown on David Letterman. Yeah. Do you yeah. guys remember that? And yeah. like, that mm-hmm. was like part of the act. Oh yeah. And I was talking to Matt Singer about it. I, I don't remember if it was on this podcast or somewhere else. And he said something to me that, along the lines of, even if Joaquin Phoenix is faking it, that's still a thing he did, <laughs> you know, like yeah. he still went mm-hmm. on the air and like melted down in front of, you know, that's still a thing that happened. Right. Um, and it was perceived in that way. Right. And not everybody may be in on the joke. Right. And not know? everyone may be in on it. And and so that's kind yeah. of the, that's kind of the thing that I think, I don't know, just a really random reference. But I it's think like, though, yeah, if, mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole we want to get here, but um, it, if you think about it in, you remove it from a sort of performer performance Mm -hmm. mentality and put it into a different art form. Like I'm thinking of like Maplethorpe or something like the, the piss Christ, you know, which made a lot Mm -hmm. of hay in the eighties for being this transgressive piece of art. Like the, the feelings that, that the exact feelings that people objected to were the feelings that the art was trying to elicit, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. it, it, what it was trying to say exactly was the thing that people were saying like it was it was effective because of that and just mm-hmm. because it wasn't you know the artist wasn't involved i think you know the same people that are objecting to ricky gervais probably would defend that um yeah for sure so i, I sure. think it's, it's it's complicated because i think in a lot of ways like he, that, that pot stirring like no one no one goes oh well that person is that art when it's a different art form because the words aren't coming out of that person's mouth in real time. So yeah, I think, I, I, I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in a conservative church and I knew a lot of people who were really upset at the piss Christ. Of course. Like, yes. But, but I think that, uh, pe- people will really debate about how efficacious Gervais is at pulling off what you are describing. You mm-hmm, are, mm-hmm. you are not talking about Gervais, by the way. You're, you're just talking. I'm, I want to try to talk. I want to defend abstract. Jeff from anyone that's going to write in about. <laughs> yeah. You are not talking about Gervais, right? You're just talking like in the abstract. I'm, I'm just trying to talk right. about art in general, yes, and and like, yes. is it fair to sort of peg the artist in in you know? I'm, I'm actually more uh, talking about Joaquin Phoenix in this case. You right, know? right, right. I, I guess I would say here's what I would say. I think that in order to accomplish what you're describing, it's a high order level of difficulty and i don't think gervais is up to the challenge i, I think that's, that's, that's the main yeah. thing like it, that's it kind is of what like, i've seen yeah. i've seen a bunch of the special as well and it is just it is just so unfunny yeah and whiny. It, that's the problem is it's like, not funny the thing. you know if it was funny you know i don't want funny you to deconstruct or... a joke for me i would like if you, exactly. he's if you still need kind to deconstruct it right yeah. like it's yeah. not there's something well, I think that's a different argument right i think that's that's like it what is it is it effective? And right, right, right. I, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I and can't I'm glad, speak to I'm, that. But yeah. the, the like, I think if you watch um, sort of late stage Andy Kaufman stuff, where he like went really down the rabbit hole and all the professional mm-hmm. wrestling stuff, mm-hmm. and he, like his entire shtick was like provoking people into hating him. Yeah. Um, like, there's a very real argument to be made that like that is 
some messed up shit. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think you could make the, you know, I, I, people sort of universally call him a genius and, and, but like, I think you could say the same thing. Like at what point is, is what he's doing and yeah. his actual character intertwined, you know? Yeah. Um, like he's laughing, right? He's laughing because you're angry, but you're actually angry, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, people can make up their own minds, but I, I, I think this has been a great conversation about what he might be trying to do with his new special, um, but it's Ricky Gervais's supernature. There's been a lot written about it online, um, mostly about how terrible it is. I did not enjoy it at all, like really at all, um, as a former fan of Gervais. Uh, and I-, I wanted to reflect on why. And that's why I've been talking about it for the last 10 minutes. So thanks for listening to to that. And Jeff, thanks for engaging and presenting kind of an alternative perspective, not on Gervais, but on like yeah. playing the boar uh, in art in general. So anyway, that's what I've been watching. Divin your hardware. What have you been watching this week? I've been watching a little show called Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm. Ewan McGregor's back, baby. Um, yeah, baby. <laughs> you I, sound so I, excited, Devendra. <laughs> I mean, I, I was not expecting much going into the show, but you know what? <laughs> I really like it. I am digging this Obi-Wan show. Uh, I, I figure you're just done with Star Wars now, Dave, right? You're not. You're never going to watch this? I'm pl- I'm thinking of Last dipping back I into Last I heard this. you were done with Star Wars, so now you're changing it up on me. But well, okay. it's because it's you and McGregor, and I've heard it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's like a momentous event. It's, it's good. Sun Kang you, is in this, except you'll never recognize it's Sun Kang. Kamel um, Nanjiani. Kamel's in this. Uh, right, so it's, like, it's yeah. like, there's enough going on here that I'm like, I'm probably going to dip back in for this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah. I think it... Uh, it so this is, uh, you know, uh, McGregor coming back to the Obi-Wan role uh, at the point where he is protecting, you know, young Luke and uh, potentially a young Leia, too. And I think the show is doing some really interesting things. And it is more successful, I'd say, than whatever the hell the uh, Boba Fett show was doing. You know, I, ha- I had fun with that on like a Saturday morning cartoon level type of thing. I think this one is genuinely like um, it is more interesting. It is doing things with the characters. Um, it brings back uh, I, I, it brings back some cast, you know, some cast from the previous films. I will point just one out. Uh, and that's Jimmy Smith's. It's really great to see Jimmy Smith's like back in uh, Star Wars. And also reminds me, I, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but Bela Grana, the best character in Star Wars. <laughs> the best, the best wow. character in Star Wars. What does he, what does he do? He he's just What's a politician, his deal, man. Yeah, he he raises his kid who's not his kid, but also he's a politician, but also secretly a rebel, also secretly like you know, making all this shit real, Tra- training Leia to be the woman she will become. Uh, I love Bill Ograma, I guess, or I mainly like Jimmy Smith, but I do love that he's playing this character who is secretly, I think, one of the best in Star Wars out there. Um, the show I mean, is good. Don't go into yeah. the show hoping there's lots of Jimmy Smiths because he's there. He's there there is little. some Jimmy Smiths. There is some Jimmy Smiths, and I will I will take whatever I can get right now. And uh, yeah, a lot of people you you expect will pop up. I, I won't say too much. I think it's doing a fun job. Uh, it it kind of like bogs it gets bogged down with some like kid stuff at times like uh and i think that's what people are complaining about um but yeah young leia is widely featured in the show i think she is great i think the kid is great and i think where the story is going and you know dealing with obi-wan's like guilt and what he is like losing his friend and what he owes the children of his friend i think is all really well done um also looks fantastic too so yeah i am digging it so far i think we're like halfway through can't wait to see the rest kanata jeff what do you think of obi-wan on disney plus 
I could not disagree more. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I think this is everything that's wrong with Star Wars right yes, now. Yes, this is what I've heard. This is what I've heard. Is it that is everything it, that is wrong destroy, with Star Wars. It like actively harms yes. what, we, steals, what we knew from the original. It steals from A New Hope. Everything, everything that makes this show interesting steals something from A New Hope. So every moment in A New Hope, you're like, oh my gosh, they're meeting for the first time. Oh my gosh, this thing. Oh my God. No, no. evidently they met before or they had all these interactions <laughs> before. They did this, this, all this. I don't want to spoil anything, but it, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous <laughs> to me. I, that- I feel like I'm less, uh, I'm less, I, I don't consider that stuff holy. So I don't know. Well, That's wait, well, let me let me phrase it this way then. What question is this show answering? I think a man who feels an extreme amount of guilt, like I, something I have wondered is like, what the hell? What the hell was Obi Wan Kenobi just doing in that desert? You know, I think it's pretty obvious there, what he was doing, waiting for there. this, for waiting for this boy to reach a certain age, yeah. making sure he stayed safe, stayed hidden. Like but also, it it asks a certain question: like, what does he owe the sister? And I think that is interesting, you know, in just uh, the, the, the idea yeah. that he knew. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is a point in episode, I think two. Yeah. The end of episode two <laughs> th- th- that actually made my blood boil. If you care at all about star Wars, which I'm less and less for me, sadly, it was the, the great love of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Now it just feels like it is being stripped for parts, mm-hmm. but um, there is a, a, a point at which a character references uh, a bad guy character references Darth Vader and says, that's right. Anakin Skywalker is alive. And I'm like, well, fuck. If everybody knows that Vader is Anakin Skywalker, none of it makes any damn sense. I could see your childhood dying or hear none it dying. None of it makes sense. Right Did you think was the idea that Obi Wan didn't know Vader was like? I thought he was fully aware of everything. But it's it, it <laughs> indicates that the entire Imperial Army knows that it's Anakin Skywalker. No, they're they're like why uh, would high Luke level, be hiding? High... Why would they call him Luke Skywalker? Why would he be <laughs> hiding on a planet calling himself Luke Skywalker? I mean, I if think everybody ask, knows uh... that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader. You got to ask George Lucas some of these Makes questions too. No sense. I, 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 I never only, thought hiding only, Luke on Tatooine was ever smart. The like, only that's the other thing, the, but that I mean that was ruined in the prequels. But the only thing that makes sense, the only way that a New Hope makes sense, is that they took this kid and they put him in the the most remote, unvisited, backwards, uh-huh, uh-huh. nowhere planet, and they stuck one single former Jedi there to watch over him, and they tried to stay as quiet as possible. It doesn't make any damn sense that he's walking yeah. around in Jedi robes. It doesn't make any sense. That the only, And it certainly doesn't make sense that he had a whole freaking adventure where he met every single person who he would later meet. It makes... it. it Dude, you want to do an Obi Wan? I feel like this hurts you somewhere, Jeff. It does. You want to do an Obi Wan Kenobi series? That's awesome. You want to bring Ewan McGregor back? I'm all for Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi is a a masterful casting choice. (laughs) You have an entire an entire time period where he is having adventures with 
Anakin Skywalker that is not depicted. It is between mm-hmm. episodes one and two. They are he's training him. They're having advent all kinds. You of- want a whole de-aged uh, series? You don't, you don't have to de-age you and McGregor. Look at Better Call Saul, Devin. You don't need de-age. Yeah, <laughs> okay. you and McGregor looks like he hasn't aged a day. We're like 20 <laughs> years later, and you and McGregor with the hair piece. Like, hey, guys, believe it. Believe Dude, it for Disney+. Plus. <laughs> you and McGregor looks – I would kill to look like you and McGregor. He, looked, he mm-hmm. looks very good. But, uh, I mean, Jeff, I, I see your points. Uh, a lot of those stories were told in the animated shows. Like, yes. That, that stuff has true. been covered fine. In, in the fiction already. I'm just saying, like, right here – but this, it also, this, this, this answers no. Qu- me, so. There's no yeah. question. That, like, if you're gonna do a prequel, the, okay, the prequel trilogy at least has a question. Like, hey, how did this kid become Darth Vader? That's an interesting question, right? If you're going to do a prequel, uh, um, um, uh, Rogue, uh, um, Rogue One, how, how did they come? How did they get the plans to the, the Death Star? That's an mm-hmm. interesting question. Mm-hmm. There is literally no question that we come into this series needing to know it is manufactured it's like oh well maybe maybe all these people that when they first saw each other thought they'd seen each other for the first time maybe they actually hadn't maybe they'd seen each other many many times and had entire adventures together and bumped into the same enemies that they it's it's recycled garbage it's it's cannibalism it's cannibalism and it sucks dude it sucks. And yes, it's shot beautifully. It looks great. But it, it is a waste of everybody's time, and it really bothers me. So I disagree, but I'll also <laughs> wait for Jeff's blood pressure to lower. To yeah, lower. sorry. I mean, you know. I, it's okay, Jeff. I, you're, you're experiencing it for us, so we don't have to. Yeah. But Devendra, you are currently, <laughs> enjoy- <laughs> are currently enjoying Obi-Wan. On Disney Plus. I, I am enjoying it. I mean, I, f- I feel like I have fewer issues with this than I did with the Boba Fett show, which was like perfectly enjoyable as just like Saturday morning TV stuff where I, I do wonder, Jeff, did you ever see the end of that show? I didn't watch a, a single you, frame you of the of Boba that. Fett okay. show. Yeah, 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 but you're like, hey, Obi-Wan, that's interesting. I'm going to come in. back yeah, to yeah, it. That's, yeah, like yeah. My, that's my attitude too. Right? I, I yeah. do I do wonder, um, yeah, if you it, what you would think of the end of that show. So that's all. I, I feel like uh, once you calm down from this stuff, uh, the Boba Fett stuff, you, you could skip some of the earlier episodes maybe or just like put them on in the background. But I think there is some stuff there that will e- probably make your blood boil more, but also some pretty wild stuff in the Star Wars universe. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm here for them doing interesting things, for them bringing back people from like freaking 20 years ago. Joel Edgerton is still here as it won Lars. And he also doesn't look very different and that is just wild to me so i kind of appreciate like what this show is doing even if it's not like you know it's it's not breaking new ground for star wars but uh they're they're i do think the idea of obi-wan wrestling with everything he failed with you know wrestling with with his life's mistakes is interesting so that's why i'm watching it all right. Well, that's Obi-Wan streaming right now on Disney+. Plus. Devinder Hardware, what else have you been watching this week? Just wanted to shout out a movie called Emergency that just hit Amazon Prime Video. And uh, I remember people were talking about this around Sundance, and I finally had a chance to look at it. Uh, it premiered on Amazon uh, end of May, so everybody can watch it now. Uh, it's about a group of guys, uh, a group of like black college students, and actually uh, black and brown college students. Like, there's a Latinx member too, and they plan this like major party night uh, as they're graduating college. And 
their plans are interrupted when a drunk white girl just appears in their living room. And that that is the premise of the show. And it's just very, very interesting. The movie, movie, you should say. Movie, yeah. uh, it's really interesting because it's like, oh man, we were going to have this really co- this really like fun college you know, party movie, right? They, it actually starts out like that. Uh, where you kind of visualize the parties and you kind of get the sense of these kids and like what they're into and how they relate to each other. One is like the straight laced guy. One is the fun, the guy who's like more fun. And then this just kind of throws a wrench into everything because I think immediately they're like, should we, should we call 911? Is there any way this doesn't end up badly for us? And that, that is the movie. That is the premise of them trying to like, figure out what to do with this girl, uh, how to get her help at some point um, while also trying not to, you know, come down on the bad side of the cops. And I think this movie uh, juggles a lot. It is dealing with a lot of like very, very like serious racial dynamics uh, while also trying to be like a fun college movie at times. And I don't think it fully uh, balances those two ideas, mm. uh, but I think it's worth watching. I think it's really worth watching because it is, um, it is very real in terms of like how it's dealing with this situation and how, you know, how kids of color are just treated on college campuses too. Like there's a lot of that in terms of like the college experience that these folks have to deal with. So I think it is a, it's a fun, it can be a fun party movie. It certainly starts out that way, but it gets real. And I think it is worth watching to see like, you know, how harrowing this adventure uh, was not entirely successful, but definitely worth a watch. I really love this movie. Mm-hmm. I would strongly recommend it. It's called Emergency. It's streaming right now on Prime Video. There is a scene in this movie mm-hmm. that features a white couple uh, that has a Black Lives Matter sign in front of their house that I, I have not been able to stop <laughs> thinking about. There is I, a, I, yeah. I yeah. watched this movie, you know, five months ago, and that scene has stayed with me. Um, because I see a lot of Black Lives Matter signs in Seattle, you know, when I walk yep. around, I take my yep. walks every day. And if you see the movie, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, it's sharp... very blunt about everything yeah, it's saying. Exactly. But also, exactly. like, yeah, things like that. See, individual scenes from this movie will certainly linger on with me because I yeah. think it's really well executed. Yeah, I just it's very like sharp, they, very sharp in its, yeah. in its social satire. They need and to get the, yeah. the balance down better. Um, maybe more fully realize some of the characters too, like. Uh, there are yeah, there are a couple women who are actually like introduced here who we never really get to learn about, like the love interests of these main characters. So th- there are things where I feel like they could have made this a, a more a more complete uh, mm-hmm. journey. But I think it did what's start here is out as a good. short. Um, mm-hmm. It was a short, and they kind of expanded it into a film. And I think, yeah, like, you can to the extent that. that there are issues with it, you know, mm-hmm. some of it might derive from that, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I really liked it. It's emergency stream it right now on Prime Video. Uh, Davinder, what else are you watching? I just want to shout out Prehistoric Planet on Apple TV Plus. Yeah, what what is this? What is what, I mean, what is? Can't wait to watch this. This is this is a uh, it's sort of it actually goes into all of our Jurassic Park watching right now. So I just turned it on. Did you guys know <laughs> T Rexes could swim? This show opens with and apparently like this is uh, the latest like uh, scientific knowledge we have is that apparently a lot of animals swim. Most animals swim actually, but this show in the first in the opening minutes visualizes a friggin T-Rex just swimming in deep water with, with, their, with their T-Rex babies. And I was like, this is astounding. It is, I have never seen this before. 
we are learning so many more new things here. Um, so I, w- I was watching a bit of it with my daughter, and she's really into dinosaurs right now. Um, this is a show that kind of uh, tries to give us a look at the world in prehistoric times. It is narrated by David Attenborough because, of course, it is. Um, but it is very much like a planet Earth type of thing, trying to show us uh, different uh, different areas in in prehistoric times, right? They, they go over different environments like forests and coasts and freshwater and things like that. And I think the animation, like the CG is just so good. We were talking about like the CG in Jurassic Park uh, for our After Dark review of that thing. And it is just incredible now what we can do, like make, make these animals feel fully realized. Certainly it's uh, easier if you don't have humans to like, you know, put on the, in the shots with them. But I, I think we've just like come such a long way. Um, it looks incredible. At least watch the first episode to see some friggin' swimming T-Rexes. Just kind of blew my mind. The things we learn and just like a simple image like that of a giant animal trying to swim and swimming really well, apparently, is what we know. Um, blow, it blew my mind. I'm trying to share it with everybody. Check out Prehistoric Planet on Apple TV+. Plus. All right. Jeff Canato, what have you been watching this week? Another thing... It- we're supposed to be worried about these characters in peril. We know that they're fine because they live for 30 more years. Oh, Obi-Wan bothers me. <laughs> um, I've been watching a, a number of things, including the first three episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which is uh, Norm MacDonald's Nothing Special, yeah. which is uh, an extraordinary thing. Uh, Norm MacDonald, of course, tragically passed away, uh, had cancer for many years did not tell anyone about it evidently um and uh was uh it seems uh very close to the time he passed away uh was going in for a procedure and the night before he goes into this procedure uh, he decides to record uh, an hour of material he had been working on and was unable to perform because of covid so he had been unable to get to any club. To, he had this special and he was worried about something happening to himself. So he decides to just record it on a couple of webcams in his house. It, it was it, it was an iPhone and a webcam, I believe, is what it was. And wow. um, and this is like mid 2020. So this was before uh, before vaccines, before anything like that. So it was really shut down and comedy, you know. Comics were having a really rough time of it back then. Yeah, and I I know that there are several comics that would try to do like Zoom meetings with people just to hear laughter. He does none of that. It's literally just him talking to a camera with no edits. No, there's no, it's one take that he did. Yeah. Uh, Clearly there are a couple of edit points that they could have done and they, whoever produced this decided to just leave it in all in. He uh, repeats a joke at one point because his dog barks. Yep. Uh, There's a phone call that happens, I think is a bit but I, I don't know. I don't think it's a bit. Don't you don't? Because no. you don't hear the person on the other end of the line even mm. though he's holding that microphone right up to it. Mm. But maybe they took yeah. that audio out. I don't know. Um, either way, uh, it feels raw. It feels... It, it feels um, it, 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 there's nothing like it. And of course, all of the added weight of knowing his situation and the fact that he has since passed. And so this is his sort of last... Uh, you know, last comedic output of his life. Um, and at a number of points, he very directly talks about mortality, but never talks about it in regards to himself or his, his condition, never reveals his condition in any way. It's not uh, in, in typical Norm Macdonald fashion. It is not uh, revealing. In fact, he, he 
very clearly it creates um, nonsense uh, aspects of his life just to get a, to a joke. He, he manufactures a wife out of thin air that doesn't exist uh, just to make <laughs> jokes about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then uh, appended to the end of this hour is a, another about 25 minutes of some of his o- oldest friends, David Letterman, Conan O'Brien, Adam Sandler, uh, David Spade, Molly Shannon, and Dave Chappelle uh, sitting around a table, having evidently just watched it for the first time and reacting and sort of telling stories about him and his life. I got very emotional watching this. Um, and I, th- I found it very funny, but also very touching and poignant and just striking in, 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 in so many ways. I mean, he very much... Uh, I don't know what I haven't seen the Gervais special, but he very much uh, hits a lot of those same third rails uh, in a very um, Norm MacDonald-y way. Uh, so there are is stuff that I think would be objectionable to some in the special as well. But man, what a what a thing, what a sort of artifact of his life. And it, I found, I mean, there's there's this joke uh, that I, I you can. Sp- skip forward if you don't want me to spoil this joke, but there's this joke about how he and his fictional wife, he doesn't say she's fictional, but he and his wife have decided to have a hall pass where you can have sex with anyone you choose. He says, my wife is so dumb. She's so stupid. I, for my hall pass, I picked, (laughs) I picked uh, Angelina Jolie and uh, uh, Christy Christy Brinkley. Brinkley. Yeah. And my wife is so dumb. She could have picked anybody. She picked our gardener and his brother. (laughs) (laughs) It's like God tier joke. I mean, God tier. So, I mean, and that's just one of, of many moments that I I just was rolling Uh, very funny, but you know, that very Norm Macdonald, like absurd, uh, I mean, so him, and he, he was such a, I think, comedic genius and one of my favorite standups. It's amazing to have this and, to, and the, the, the format, the delivery, like devoid of audience feedback. And then also with that sort of, you know, all these famous people that were friends of his kind of reacting to it. It just, it's just, I, I highly recommend it if you were a fan of Norm Macdonald at all. Very, very interesting. I know Dave, you I watched agree. it as well. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, um, it's weird. It's weird. Um, because I, I've seen Norm Macdonald live. I think he was a comedic genius uh and this felt like watching a rehearsal of a comedy special you know what i mean like it because there's all this laughter that's missing from the special and i I think it's an incredibly valuable uh, valuable document but it's also just weird because you're seeing the thing and then you're seeing an analysis of the thing right after well and and letterman is so like he keeps hammering this thing of like yeah there's no audience it's not stand-up comedy it's not stand-up it's not stand-up you know it's just like okay you know uh, but it's it's fascinating and it's like the the post discussion it feels just as raw as the yeah as the you know the special that came before it it doesn't feel rehearsed at all or that they had like gotten together and been like you know they they put less preparation into that than an episode of the film cast (laughs) and that's saying something (laughs) Yeah, and that's saying so. Yeah, so it, it's weird, but I think it's a, super valuable, and there is some great material in it. Um, but yeah, it's it's very much what you said. It's him saying all the jokes in his special into a webcam, basically, um, and occasionally cutting to an iPhone, and that that is the whole thing. And uh, I, I think it's great. Um, my wife actually likes it more than 
like a normal comedy special because it feels more intimate. Yeah. Like it feels right like you're there. listening to a podcast. It feels you're, like you're, you're listening to I a mean, podcast. more than yeah. even a podcast because you're looking at him and, and you're right up in his face. Yes. You're in his yeah. grill, you know? It's, yeah. it's wild. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I enjoyed it. I think it's very valuable and poignant. And yeah, the stuff about his mortality really... Uh, really hit hit home because you know he 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 did not pass after he shot this like immediately after but he passed shortly afterwards and um those those jokes obviously have like more of a meaning now uh, yeah and and uh, it's all very thought provoking and poignant and it it was you know I think it was nice to have the friends talk about it afterwards because I think I'm trying to think like what would it have been without that right yeah I don't I, it would have felt like it was missing something I agree a hundred percent yeah. Yeah. It needed so, it needed just like sort of this like moment of retrospection and yes of like what context. what is it that we just watched yeah right because like, yeah. otherwise you haven't seen really anything like it before so anyway that's Norm Macdonald's nothing special it's available right now on Netflix Jeff and I both really enjoyed it Jeff speaking of stuff that's streaming on Netflix indeed uh, actually I think this is on YouTube it is but well, it's, it's derived on, from something that yeah. was on Netflix uh, <laughs> fans of the film cast will note that my number one movie of, of 2021 my favorite film of the entire year uh, was Inside by Bo Burnham uh, and on his personal YouTube channel Bo Burnham has just released uh, Outtakes what he's calling the Inside Outtakes which is a pretty brilliant title um, you know, Inside, of course, was uh, his uh, his stand-up, I guess you'd say stand-up, but his, uh, you know, multimedia comedy yeah. extravaganza uh, that is entirely created by him inside uh, a room uh, over the course of many months during COVID. Um, and I, I think it is utterly genius and will, I think it will be the, the landmark uh, piece of art for this thing that was the pandemic that is the pandemic mm-hmm. I, I just think it is for at least for me uh but i think it will stand as a sort of cultural monument to that in a, in a lot of ways I, it's just so beautiful and to think that he had enough material to put in another an entire new hour uh which is what it is it's edited you know the i think outtakes it's a clever title for inside outtakes but i think outtakes is a bit of a misnomer because one thinks of outtakes as sort of flubs or mistakes or uh you know, uh, uh, things that are, are, are attempting to do the thing, but not doing the thing. This is not that this is just like material he had that he decided not to put in the actual show, Mm -hmm. but is still well-produced. Uh, it feels like another show and it's incredible. Have you watched it, Dave? I haven't seen it yet. I'm planning on it. There is the the final song which i don't know how it didn't make the actual sh- the actual inside but the final song of this thing is a song that deconstructs the joke why did the chicken cross the road mhm it might be one of the most brilliant things i have ever witnessed it is so it works on so many levels and it is, it's in, it's, the man is a, a friggin' genius, dude. It's, I, so I will say all that to tell you, do not, uh, do not, if you are a fan of Inside, do not write this off as, as being just sort of like a blooper reel or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Inside Outtakes this is This is a like of, the Jackass 4.5 exactly. of Bo Burnham's Inside. Yeah, it's just you know, stuff it's like that didn't make thing. the, the stuff didn't make the, the, the cut, but no less polished, no less effective no less compelling 
uh, it's just more of that show. So if you like that show, uh, run, do not walk to see Bo Burnham's inside outtakes. It's which is available on YouTube. Also, a su- basically a surprise drop for that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, he just tweets out, "Hey, it's going to be up on YouTube in an hour," and then it's there. And you know, this is this is the world we're living in now. So, yeah. Uh, okay, that is what we've been watching. Before we get to our review of RRR, let's do some weekly plugs. <laughs> Weekly plugs a part of the show where we plug something else we've been making. Uh, I want to plug a conversation I had on culturally relevant podcast Hacks season two just wrapped up. Weird, weird season schedule for this one. Uh, they aired two episododes a week, and then it was eight episodes over four weeks. So it's like I think that's weird... what they did with the first season too, though, isn't it? I don't I remember. It, I thought I recall it was it ten being episodes two at a time. Oh, it may have been ten, but I, I remember it was ten episodes. But yeah, it, it was like a weird. It's a weird number of episodes. Um, yeah, a- a- season one was 10 episodes. So, um, and season two is like eight episodes, which is like a weird number of episodes. Anyway, point being, season two just wrapped up. I really love the season two finale. It's perfect. I thought yeah. it was very beautiful. And I haven't watched it yet. Mm. Um, one of the writers, producers of Hacks is somebody I went to high school and church youth group with, with when I was a child. He has now, uh, you know, sometimes the people you grow up with go on to write hit TV shows. Sometimes the people you grow up with go on to podcasts about hit TV shows. An you know? equivalent <laughs> level of success. Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> and uh, I was really happy to welcome him to Culturally Relevant Podcast where we talked about um, how he became such a huge success. Um, he writes for shows like Silicon Valley and Hacks and uh, The Good Place. And um, I think it was a really great conversation uh, so check it out, a culturally relevant podcast. That's my conversation with Andrew Law from Hacks. Devinder Hardwar, your weekly plug. Oh, I just want to shout out, uh, I have a gift guide for new dads who are looking for gifts or people who want to gift stuff to new dads uh, over to Engadget. It's called The Best Gifts for New Dads. We got some cool things here uh, like earbuds. I, I think earbuds are great if you have a baby and also tablets and things like that. So a lot of cool things here. Uh, I don't know if you, if you, do you guys have like a specific thing, Jeff? One thing that really helps you survive being a new dad? I feel like earbuds is the main thing for me. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I, I, it's a whole kind of different angle, but like the tech of uh, baby monitors and like all yep. that stuff is yep. huge. Yeah, we, we had a whole baby monitor thing, too. This one is just like for the dad. Mm. How will the dad yeah. survive? And we have one for moms, too, I think at some point. Um, but yeah, check out this guy. Jeff Kanata. Uh, I think folks have heard me mention the fact that I've been doing, um, I've been a sportscaster for the last uh, nine weeks or uh, eight weeks. Um, With the fan-controlled football league, it has been uh, an extraordinary experience. And we've gotten to the final week of the season. The championship game is coming up this week. Uh, I will not be uh, broadcasting that game. the, uh, The other team, there was two teams. The other team is doing that game for scheduling reasons, but... I will be doing the pregame show uh, on the field uh, before the big people's championship for the fan controlled football season two, uh, two awesome teams, a, a team that started out Oh, and four then rallied and made it to the playoffs called the zappers uh, will be there. Uh, and the uh, uh, board, uh, board eight football club. Uh, it should be a really, really wild, interesting, fun game. Uh, and uh, I hope people check it out. It's been awesome. I've been, I've been going to Atlanta every weekend last weekend, Dave, I went and visited Devendra. 
Woo! What? At his house and his family. Yeah, it was awesome. Oh, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Great to see Jeff. It's been, uh, I guess, since Dave's wedding. I think that was the yes. last time. Oh. But yeah, yeah. Amazing. It was so cool. Yeah, it was really fun seeing. He lives in a lovely little neighborhood there in in uh, Atlanta. We had a we had a good time, kind of hanging out a little bit. And yeah. uh, it's been a wild experience uh, going to Atlanta every single weekend uh, um, for uh, for nine weeks in a row. But this is the final one, uh, and I think it would be a, a fun one for people to uh, check out if they're so inclined, if they're interested at all in the in the way sports is kind of being mashed up with uh, technology. So you can mm-hmm. you can see that game and all previous games uh it's on NBCLX, it's on Peacock, it's on DAZN, it's on Fubo TV. But if you're digital folks like us, uh, easiest way to do it is to check it out on Twitch, twitch.tv/fcf for fan controlled I also want to say patreon.com slash film podcast is how you can support this podcast if you're enjoying this show. And you want it to continue, patreon.com slash film podcast is where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. This week on the After Dark, we will be discussing Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um, so be sure to check that out. Of course, we never want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. If you want to support us without donating money, very easy to do that. Go to Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform. Leave a star rating or a review for us. It really does help. All right, let's get to our review of RRR. जब स्कॉट सर अपने परिवार के साथ आदिलाबाद आए थे तो एक छोटी बच्ची को ले आए वो दरअसल गोंडों की बच्ची है तो उनके सर पे सिंह होते हैं क्या एक गडरिया होता है That was from the trailer for RRR, the newest film by director S.S. Rajamuli. You're listening to the Filmcast. Joining us today for our review of RRR, she is film critic and editor at SlashFilm.com. Hua Chen Bui, welcome back to the Filmcast. Thanks for having me back. I'm ready to go. Oh, my God. <laughs> are you? Yeah. How many R's are in that ready? <laughs> oh, um, yeah. You know, just the the... the the typical amount, three, <laughs> the only amount that we'll be using from now on. For well, every R word, yes. Uh, folks who have listened to the podcast for more than two weeks may recall Huai Chen was just here on the podcast a couple weeks ago when we reviewed Men, Alex Garland's Men, probably about as far away from this movie as you can get in terms of tone and me- message, I guess. Um, yeah, and yeah, uh, the, the reason she's back is because during that review, she said, hey, if you ever discuss RRR, uh, feel free to invite me back. And I was like, okay, well, we're discussing RRR in a couple of weeks. So invited you back on uh, HT and glad to have you back on the show. I'm glad to be back. I'm really excited to talk about this movie. I think uh, the reaction to this will definitely be different than what we had for men. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> now, before we begin, I do just want to say that we are going to, you know, every person here will bring some of their own context to uh, discussing this movie, which, by the way, according to the plot summary, is about about a tale of two legendary revolutionaries and their journey far away from home. You know, it occurs uh, to me, uh, hearing HT talk, that if you swapped the titles of these movies, it still would work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this movie Men. could be called Men, and that movie could be called RRR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, mm. It Very, wouldn't make any sense for that movie, but <laughs> well, no, it's a hard it, R. Yeah. It's I think it would work. 
Yeah. It's it for the, all the Rory Kinnears. <laughs> yes, all the Rory Kinnears. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Rory, it stands for Rory, Rory, Rory in that one. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Anyway, um, so we'll each bring our own context to this movie, but I do just want to say that uh, there is a high likelihood that there are some things that we will miss in terms of uh, the political and the cinematic uh, context behind this movie. Um, I do want to point people to an awesome article that Matt Goldberg tweeted out, um, which is at a newsletter called Letters from Limbo. And it's written by uh, a person named Ritesh Babu. It's entitled Unpacking RRR Indian Politics and Cinema. Uh, It's like a 30-minute long article that lays out all the context or much of the context behind the making of this film and and the cinematic environment in which it's uh, getting into. And I'd recommend people read this. um, Did you just describe an article as uh, by its time? (laughs) Yes. Yes. 30-minute article? Yeah, 30-minute long article. I don't know. It's like 10,000 words or something. It's very long, but it is... Very well worth it because yeah. it's like wow. That's how Dave sees everything, by the way. Like, <laughs> how, how much of my life to read an article on his you know? TikTok? Yes, I think no, he just. Totally. I think he just threw the gauntlet down to somebody get through that article <laughs> yeah. faster than get Dave. through it faster than thirty minutes. That's right. But yeah, I mean, th- this is super valuable, and uh, it, it's basically like wow. There is ninety nine percent of this article I did not know before I read the article, and it basically lays out like who these people are, uh, who these actors are, who these characters are in the mythology. And uh, there's just a lot we don't know. Um, But we will try to make our way through it as best we can and talk about this purely as a cinematic experience. That's something we can definitely do here on the podcast. Yeah. So, Pai Chen Bui, let's start with you. Uh, Why is it that you wanted to come back to talk about this movie? Tell us about your feelings on this film. Well, boys, how would you like to topple imperialism with the power of friendship? (laughs) Love it. Love it. I would love to. RRR is a movie that completely snuck up on me. I can't say that I have a finger on the pulse of Indian cinema, uh, much less Telugu cinema, which this is. Uh, this comes from. This can't be mistaken for Bollywood. Uh, it's part of Indian cinema, but they are uh, one of the many languages and one of the many like genres within Indian cinema. So this was not really on my radar until uh, a good friend of mine and a good friend of yours, Dave, uh, Patrick Willems, was tweeting up a storm about this movie. And he, too, was turned on to this film by Sedant Adlaka, who um, I would also like to point anyone to his writings about this movie. It's, it's really great. And he's been kind of tooting the horn for RR for like several months now. Yeah, um, I read his review at IndieWire, and he also co-wrote Patrick Willems' video essay about this film. Um, so would recommend all those things as well, yeah. Yes, exactly. So uh, I went to a screening with them. They were basically just inviting all of New York film Twitter to come and see <laughs> it with them. And um, I, it was one of the best theatrical experiences I've ever had. It maybe permanently altered my brain chemistry. <laughs> as um, any good movie should, you know, like that's, that's a sign. This movie has everything and not to sound like a Bill Hader sketch, but it's a historical epic. It's an action epic. It's a romance. It's a buddy comedy. It's a propaganda film. It's the most maximalist depiction of uh, homoerotic hyper masculinity that I've ever seen put to the screen. And it's like if a filmmaker was just had the thought of, hey, what if uh, every single thing that has been done on the big screen in film 
uh, what if I just threw it all <laughs> together into a pot and just like threw it at the screen yeah. in this movie? And that's what this movie is like. It's like a, vis- a visual extravaganza. Uh, extravaganza. It's so operatic that I can't speak properly. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like you t- if you took the uh, the handshake meme from Predator, right? <laughs> Which is a, actually a recurring symbol throughout this movie and made that into an entire movie. Yes. Just like two muscular arms gripping each other <laughs> in friendship. Mm-hmm. That is RRR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I men mean, there's so bonding many... through the power of their own uh-huh. masculinity. <laughs> there's so many analogies that I can vaguely grasp at to try to uh, sort of discuss the, the context of this movie. Like the, the best I could think of would be like, if it's like Tom Hanks and, oh, sorry, not Tom Hanks, uh, sex symbol Tom Cruise and Will Smith were playing like Batman and Superman, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. And they're like together on the big screen. Like it would be like that level of event was the sense I got reading about this film uh, in terms of just like who these actors are, like and how big of a deal they are and also the characters that they play in this movie are. Well, um, there were, you know, rumors in the 80s of uh, two different things that mm-hmm. almost happened. One of them was Schwarzenegger and Stallone at the height of their popularity being in one film together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like the heat of 80s action movies. Right. You know? Right. The other thing that very nearly almost happened was Prince was almost in the beat it video fighting <laughs> off, fighting, dance fighting against Michael Jackson. Yeah. Now, oh, this, so many things. This, yeah, so this many. movie, this movie. <laughs> Is both of those things <laughs> at the same time? Yes, yes. That's that's a pretty good analogy. Pretty good analogy. So, yeah, just kind of the movie itself is a big deal. Let alone, and then and then it's as if Michael Bay and John Woo co-directed it. Basically, yes, yes. <laughs> basically, <laughs> pretty much. Basically, is is kind of no, what we Michael were. Michael Bay with. and John Woo fought over direct, like we're actively <laughs> fighting in the direction of it. Like, yes. <laughs> now, obviously the analogy is imperfect. We're just using our Western lens to try to like comprehend the magnitude of this film. But like that, that's, these are the things that came to mind in trying to like describe this movie to other people. All that said, Devinder Hardware, what were your thoughts on RRR? I mean, I, I loved it. I completely loved it. Yeah, this movie represents everything <laughs> I love about movies. And I think the sad, I, I felt kind of sad because I did hear uh, HT, like how you guys were going all these screenings together in New York and just like having a grand old time uh, in a crowded theater. I was like, man, I would love to see that. I would have, I, I think in Patrick's video, he has footage he shot of people like, uh, I think it's his footage, right? Of people just like dancing in the aisles during the Natu Natu song. And it's just like, yeah, I, I want that level of insanity while seeing this movie. So yeah, I had a blast with it. I don't, uh, I, I've seen uh, some of the Baja Bully movies. I haven't seen, like, I haven't even finished them. I just, I know they're well known for their, like their scale and the kind of insanity of the action. And yeah, this movie just absolutely delivers. I think it is, um, it reminds me of a lot of things. Uh, So many movies I love kind of wrapped into one and one like three hour long epic. Um, Visually, it's absolutely stunning. I feel like uh, it's it's notable that this is like the most expensive Indian film ever made. And even then, like it pales in comparison to like most Hollywood movies, right? I think like the conversion is maybe 75 million yeah. or so yeah. for a movie to look this big, but it's still so like magnificent. I mean, and, it looks like it costs yeah. 275 million, you yeah. know? It does, um, except for the CG, except for yeah. like if, if you wanted to like, you know, 
unfortunately there are a lot of like giant animals and they have to be cg and uh it's, it's not that great but you know what even hollywood movies can't do that too great sometimes as we've seen in the mcu uh i love the maximalist filmmaking in this thing like i, I think like that's the main thing here like this movie can never go soft really, or it can never like be subtle about things. Everything has to be huge and big and boisterous. You have to have a, you know, way too many people in the shot. Uh, everything has to look enormous. And I think that is fantastic. Um, certainly I, I was enjoying this. Like this movie has like what titles 30, 40 minutes in, you know, 40, 40 minutes in almost yeah. exactly the same as drive my car. Yeah. Like, and, and these movies certainly relate movies. to each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> certainly. Uh, drive my car was a maximalist, like a uh, emo epic, you know, and uh, <laughs> same thing here. I clapped in both occasions because like the sheer amount of energy that it took to get to that point is just so wild. Um, I, it, it is everything like the dancing is fantastic and the filmmaking around doing the action sequences and the dances are it's just as impressive too like we talk about how some action sequences are basically dance choreography right and what's so clear about you know uh, Rajamalu like knows what he's doing here but he shows full people dancing like he shows the full body he shows their legs and the not to not to dance is just an incredible sight to behold like this movie does so many things well. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I have a hard time like picking any holes at it. I wish the CG were a little better. Um, I wish uh, it didn't come out at a time where like pro-Indian stuff in general feels a little icky to me. Like there, there's a lot going on in India. But overall, I this is a hell of a ride. And I have to go see all the Bahubali movies now too. I would agree with you, Devendra, that it does feel a bit of a bummer that we didn't see, like, I don't know. I don't think any of us, the three of us yeah. on the main podcast saw the movie in theaters. I, I couldn't. I couldn't. Um, yeah. yeah. Which in my is theater. A huge, huge bummer. Um, and we also saw it on Netflix where it is one of the top 10 films in the country right now. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the only version that is on Netflix is a Hindi dub. It is not the uh, Telugu version. I believe that version is being uh, held back to drive Mm-hmm. A subscribership to a uh, streaming service that actually actually has a Telugu version, so yeah. it's also that's very big... exp- like it's more expensive, um, but that yeah. kind of makes sense. I it's, think it's like, a bummer um, that we're not. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing kind of like a compromised version of it, yes, because it's yes. not in theaters and it's also the Hindi version. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of, you know, the the CG, I actually thought the animal CG was very solid. We just finished watching Jurassic Park one uh for the after dark recently and i was like this is better cg than than jurassic park one in my opinion than the first I mean, movie to ever like do 30 years ju- ago yeah, yes, I, I one of the first movies that. to ever do full creature cgs yes that's right and that's even right. then i would uh <laughs> I, I would debate you there because we, okay, we know how than, tigers move you know? way better than nanook of the north dave <laughs> <laughs> the lumiere brothers have shit yeah. on this movie um <laughs> far more realistic than that train that was coming towards us you know <laughs> i do so, think though with the sort of shaky cgi and you know it's not at all realistic i feel like it it was it kind of fits the heightened aspect of this movie because it's like these people are punching tigers and just like throwing tigers and throwing motorcycles at each other like they are superheroes (laughs) i kind of expect them to live in a cartoon world Mm -hmm. i mean i i really knew i was gonna love this movie because it begins with a massive title card that says there's nothing that you know this whole thing is fictional so don't don't get bent out of shape about it. It is then immediately followed by the following title that says, Disclaimer, 
No animals or birds were harmed during the making of the film. Horses, oxen, birds, tigers, wolves, bears, <laughs> leopards, deer, fish, and snake shown in the movie are all computer generated. End quote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, talk about uh, raising expectations right at the beginning. <laughs> that is then immediately like, followed by. He gives uh, you a bingo card right at the top. <laughs> it's like the Top Gun opening titles. Like, listen. This is an elite school, and this is an elite film, and we did not harm these animals, but it sure looks like we did. Get ready like, for it. You're gonna see. You're gonna see a leopard. You're gonna see a snake. You're gonna see. There's a lot in this movie. Just sit back, pal. I am holding out for the oxen. That's what I was really, really looking forward to. It's like, what is the oxen gonna do in this movie? Jeff Kanata, I am so curious. What did you think of RRR? Well, Dave. <laughs> Before I do that, I gotta tell you. Uh, I know, I, and I'm sure I'm not saying it fast enough to stop the tweets and emails that we've already gotten. <laughs> I recognize it was not the beat it video. It was the bad video. Mm. Yes, was yes supposed the bad to be video. Mm. Not beat it. It was bad. I'm sorry. I, I know I got it wrong. <laughs> I knew it immediately as I said it, but I didn't want to interject while everybody was talking. Mm. The bad video that Prince turned down, that could have been them fighting each other, dance fighting each other. Yeah, it was okay. Wesley Snipes instead. Yeah. But I guess you could say my feelings about RRR are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Hit us, Jeff. This limerick will fail to express the fun friendship and awesomeness. Three hours and dubbed, if you're Netflix subbed, you sh- should you make time to watch it? Hell yes! <laughs> woo, nice. Yeah, woo. I kind of messed that up. But uh, yeah, I mean, everything Devendra said, everything HD said. Uh, everything Dave said, uh, but like more, more from, for me, more a little, uh, this movie starts on 11 and then goes up from there. Um, it, it made, this is a movie that made me sad. I mean, I love doing the show with you guys. I absolutely love doing the show with you guys, <laughs> but it made me sad that I wasn't still doing the totally rad show because wow. this wow. is, wow. this yeah. is the totally rad show yeah. as a movie. It makes this you want like, to go back in time, uh, to a co-host you like better. You know, no, no, no. That's it's how not important. That. It's how powerful this it's movie the, is. The the ethos, the mm-hmm, uh, the, mm-hmm. the 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 feelings, the 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 raison d'être of the totally rad <laughs> show mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is what this movie is about. It's broing out so hard. It's loving things on eleven. It, you know, we 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 made that show as a sort of a celebration of just you know, being friends and loving stuff. And, you know, every time our fists came together in that show, they exploded. Right. Mm-hmm. That's this movie in a nutshell is like anytime their fists come together, it is an explosion <laughs> and b- both it, of love and of action. It is so much fun. It actually feels to me like the, a movie and its sequel all in one. Like mm-hmm. you get, mm-hmm what feels like a real hard stop down in the, in the middle of this movie. It feels like two 90 minute movies shoved together. And there's like this real hard stop down where it's like, okay, now we're going to do a flashback and kind of reset and like, you know, go back in time and check. And so, you know, if you're put off by the three hour runtime, I think it makes a great two 90 minute sittings, uh, movie experience. Um, I did watch it in my home theater, which has great sound and a big screen. And man, this movie rocks. The music is awesome. You know, this is the kind of movie 
where at the beginning, <laughs> there's a song that literally is telling you everything. <laughs> that's It's like raising questions like, is it going to turn out this way? You know, it's like, it's so. Are it's they going to so, find out? Yeah. You get a better watch and the movie's not over. So, you'll, you know, it's, it's so it wears its heart on its sleeve. Like the love affair, the like actual love affair between these guys is so wonderful. I mean, mm-hmm. it is so goofy and fun. It it maybe has the best friendship montage sequence <laughs> in the history of cinema. And it, I and mean, the best it plays out like a rom-com too. montage, yeah. which is yes, why yes, it's so amazing. Yes. You're like, they're falling in love. They love yeah, each other. <laughs> hardcore love falling but like totally earnest earnest. there's no not a hint of irony in that entire sequence and that's what i love the most about this movie truly from start to finish (laughs) it it is earnest it is earnest about its feelings about the politics it's earnest about its feelings about how you should how these guys feel about each other about what is good and what is bad and it, it is it is not cynical in any way and i love that about it i just love how hard it goes and man that for all of the -the over-the-top incredible action and i'm sure we'll call out a lot of it specifically in spoilers but for all of it i think my favorite sequence in the whole movie is the dance sequence it is it's dance as a fight it is dance as a test of endurance it is it is dance till you literally drop and it also is storytelling. It's, it's also story da- dance's character. Dance's you know, character. character. Dance as a way of toppling imperialism and <laughs> and you yes. know and white society, which was yes. also amazing. But can you flamenco? But also, <laughs> yeah. But also, dance is like there's the dance equivalent of jumping in front of a bullet. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it, it is. It it's a and it's and also also also. The pure physical prowess of it is incredible. Like these guys are incredible action stars, totally pull off the action. And yet also they are doing an amazing amount of dancing. And I mean, I don't know if this is sort of a staple of Bollywood. I haven't watched enough to know it, but I guess there's Mm -hmm. some intention to never show them be out of breath or fatigued or like oh no or you even be, take a breath like they never take uh, a breath well th- this type of movie and specifically as uh, ht mentioned this is not bollywood this is yeah. like a whole separate thing there's oh, pardon me there's multiple tollywoods yeah. in india too so it's a, it's a whole it's a telugu language thing but yes the idea that yeah, you never see superman get tired well, no. it's not even tired. It's take a breath. Like they no, never no breathe. No. They're only ever smiling and doing the most amazing crap you've ever seen in your life. The the way this movie starts, I knew, I knew like from frame one when, I mean, not frame one, there's a little mm-hmm. bit of a prologue, but the first like time we see one of our main characters and, and he, he faces off against thousands of people by himself. guys at once. It's yeah. one of the most incredible opening <laughs> action sequences of any movie and you have that thing where you're like oh is this kind of be a, a sort of a james bond movie problem where the best action sequence is at the beginning nope <laughs> nope no nope. it's only the beginning <laughs> it's followed yeah. up by another one and followed up by the best meet cute i think ever <laughs> yes. because that, that their whole meeting is like you go this way i go this way it's <laughs> just like pointing from up th- hundreds of feet apart it's like we're gonna save that kid bro yeah, yeah they bro. don't even talk they just bond yeah, no. and they, they immediately connect over their own just masculinity and trying to save this boy and it's incredible it's just 
It's like they found their they found their their soulmate. Their, uh, soulmate. Yeah, in mm. in the best possible way. You know, it's like and what their soul represents is expressed in that in that sequence. It's this movie is damn fun, wonderful on every level. The fact that we got RRR and everything everywhere all at once in the same year is is pretty extraordinary. And, yeah. both, and in a very similar climax too. too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, I will just say a couple thoughts and then we can get to spoilers. But yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think it's maximalist filmmaking. I love the earnestness of it. Um, I love that it keeps one-upping itself. You know, as you, as you just mentioned, it has two of the most badass character introductions of all time. In- incredible. And, and different. And, and very different, different from each other. Very yeah. different from each other, right? And so, and you just sort of, it's built these guys up to be like some of the biggest badasses that you've ever seen in film. Um, and it, it just keeps ramping itself up from there. And uh, I had a great time with this movie. I loved it. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably gonna be one of my favorite movies of the year. At the same time, you know, Devinger, I think it's also right to recognize that um, how a movie like this might be used as a propaganda tool, you know, like mm-hmm. very much like uh, Top Gun Maverick, a movie that we all loved, but it's like, you know, it's probably gonna be a great boon for military recruitment. Um, and we should just be aware of that, you know, um, be aware of like how it might be used and what it's myth making yeah. is in popular culture. Um, but but I, the... I also wanna say, uh, no, we, we should also see more movies where people are crushing imperialist necks. Please, yeah. yes, like no. more oh, of that. Uh, this certainly. movie, uh, it was, I was trying to think of, uh, the the other movie this reminded me of and that was Bacurau, the Brazilian mm. movie. And it's very mm. much that idea of how oppressed people can fight back against like you know powerful forces. I want to chime in about the just string, the whole genre of Chinese films that are very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for example, the whole Ip Man franchise, mm, which takes yeah. a historical figure and basically turns him into a superhero. And it's very much that same sort of naturalist nationalist propaganda, very yes. almost jingoist to an extent. Uh, and each film basically has Ip Man played by Donnie Yen uh, facing off against some sort of imperialist foe, usually American foe, often other times British, uh, and you know, beating him with his fists. <laughs> Yeah, it's the Rocky Four um, <laughs> premise, but you know, turned around, and yeah. that's what Ip Man does, and that's basically what RR does, and I think that's incredible. It's also just fascinating to see uh, movies like or shows like Squid Game, um, which has has a depiction of Americans, and um, mo- movies like RRR, which has a depiction of uh, British colonialists. And just kind of like understand how other countries see, you know, white people. Basically, uh, seeing Ray Stevenson in this movie is incredible. As like he was so good, yeah. bad guy. He's so evil. The yeah. Punisher himself. Yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, Allison Duty, who I think is uh, she plays Ilsa in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, I believe. Right. Huh. She's also yeah. yeah. Movie, oh. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. It, 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 it everything as with everything else in the movie, the depiction of the villains is over the top, uh, but the movie commits to it. It amplifies so many moments, uh, and s- like literally amplifies them by slowing them down, sometimes to seemingly like a thousand frames a second, uh, where it, it etches these images indelibly into your, your mind. And uh, I think it's really a lot of fun. I'd highly recommend it. Let's talk about a couple of the specific scenes in spoilers. Starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. 
Because you don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right. We're in spoilers for RRR. Uh, and I'll just start by saying they did the Rakakuni thing, guys. <laughs> in real life. That's true. And I'll leave it that's vague true. as to what I'm even talking about. If you haven't seen the movie that that's referring yeah. to, but I mean, uh, um, you know, uh, as as I mentioned, because uh, it is something I will have mentioned at the beginning of this <laughs> podcast. But wow, but nice. Um, as I mentioned, uh, tr- the strongest impression, uh, like uh, strongest representation of bro love. You know how many how many bros will you just piggyback and go fight people with? You know, like that. that it's beautiful. It's the perfect representation of soulmates because they are so connected with each other and so intertwined that they can literally make up one body that is so badass. Yeah. I got legs. Just defeat you a got whole army. Let's go. You know, you can I, skip I believe, leg day if you have a bro. I believe it was the Spice Girls who said, when to become one. Yep. Yep, yep. But same my own, context, my, same context, too. Same context. One. My yep. only, uh, my only criticism with this movie, mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. is that it goes so far in the betrayal, like so graphically disturbing in how. <laughs> mm-hmm. You mean me- the torturing? Yes, and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. And, and and to be able to come back from that at all felt. maybe not earned you know it's it's a very Mm. infernal affairs thing except uh by the end you know they're they're both technically good except we didn't know what uh like uh was it uh rom's uh plan was uh by the way shout out to rom charan and nt rama rao jr like these guys among the biggest stars in india together so uh, it is worth uh, checking out some of their other movies. I think, I think the like, flashback does a lot of heavy lifting to yeah. get us on Rom's side because yeah. we only yes. see like but little after he, snippets of he it. totally yeah messes up a dude and then is like apologetic immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it, it, uh, yeah. you know, whip him. Oh man, that sucks that he had to whip his friend. But then it's like now use the barbed <laughs> whip and. <laughs> You know, it just feels like, whoa, do we do we need to go this far? I mean, uh, the sequence where he starts singing during that is, is mm-hmm. very powerful and it's all very powerful. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the only way back from that is like, oh, I totally didn't understand that you also <laughs> hate the imperialists. Well, it's it's after that scene that Rom is like, maybe I went a little too far with this. You know, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe this time say- I went a little too far. I do want to I say that this it's guns. amazing. There's there's a I don't I think there's like no other movie where I could ha- like describe a a whipping scene that is also a musical scene that is as <laughs> moving and still works as much as it does. It sounds like a parody, but here it really works as like an emotional turning point for the movie. L- literally the last time I saw a whipping scene that graphic was uh when I watched Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's like imagine having a musical number during Passion of the Christ. <laughs> you know, like it would be outlandish. Isn't um, there but... isn't there one? No. No, I I think you're thinking of Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, yeah, it's I always different, get those yeah. confused. Yeah. Different, different. Get those. Yeah. But anyway, uh I also agreed with Jeff that this movie could easily be split into two movies. There is this even fa- I should have mentioned this in the pre-spoilers, but there's even this like fade to black mm-hmm. where well, there's a, and there's a there logo an that comes up. It's an intermission, yeah. basically. There's an yeah. intermission yeah. in the theater too. So but yeah, yeah, yeah. and then, really and then the it comes US back with a flashback. Technically, yeah. The only thing from us is from a storytelling perspective, I think they could have moved the flashback to later. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think typically in these these kinds of movies, it's like a surprise when the person who you think is the you know the bad person mm-hmm. become like turns onto the good side, and then the flashback kind of gives the whole game away. You know, it like removes mm-hmm. any yeah. You could have the turn tension from that right. You yeah. could have the him him you know the turn happen, and then and then you flashback to show why exactly. Yeah. Then you do the flash. So, so that yeah. was the only like narratively. I'm like mm, you could have moved that flashback like 10, 15 minutes later maybe, but. But that, um, that amazing that, no sequence, <laughs> that amazing sequence with the raid, on, I mean, which is so gorgeously shot, the raid on, at night at, at the palace. Um, oh my gosh. Is incredible. incredible but I'm, I'm looking at the runtime. I'm like, how are we here? This is clearly the climax of our <laughs> yeah, movie. This, this feels like the climax of the film. Yeah. Yeah. This is clearly what we've been working up toward is the saving of the girl. Uh, how do we, how are we here? And we still have an hour and a half of movie to go. And that's because there's a second movie, yes. <laughs> the whole mm-hmm. second movie. And, and I, I will say, you know, uh, we, we talked a little bit about this in the main review, but one thing I really appreciate about this movie is I do feel like it saves the best for last. You know, yeah. I, I think that a thing that a lot of movies have a problem with these days, a lot of action movies is uh, they they have their best action scene in the first third or half of the film. And then like the movie never feels like it rises to that level. This movie continues to outdo itself. Now, I don't know if the last action scene is like the best, but it certainly has some of the most memorable visuals. Like yeah. guy Big picking black... up motorcycle and bashing people's heads in. With it, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, there's there's nothing else you're gonna see in the rest of the movie like that. And yeah, the, uh, and, it's the, it's Black Panther and Hawkeye team up to take down. <laughs> I mean, they basically both turn into gods. And yes. it's incredible. Well, yeah. I mean, well, using, Rom, using Rom rifles like John Woo pistols too. You like know, John like Woo it's, pistols. Yeah. Rom basically turns into like Rama, the like mythical, you know, yeah. Hindu yeah. figure too. So it's like, it's all, and he, his wife is named Sita too. Like it's all, you know, it's all like up there in terms of if you know your mythology, it's there. Uh, I will say, I think uh, Inglorious 70 millimeter in the uh, chat room is pointing out most Indian films do feel like two movies. And that is the thing. Like they're very mm. long mm-hmm. and uh, you get your money's worth basically like they take you on a journey none of this part one part two nonsense you know like it's, it's both here i will yeah. say of the indian films i've seen i've only seen maybe a handful of them across just like the scattered sleepovers or like classic movies that i've managed to watch on criterion channel or something um this one manages to tie its two movies together more well like better than mm-hmm, other movies mm-hmm. i've seen where like sometimes you'll have like a in other movies you'll have like a a love interest who appears in the first half and then just like completely disappears in the second <laughs> half. You're like, where'd she go? <laughs> um, but here it does feel like more connected. And um, the flashback does kind of act as the sort of connective tissue between those to be like, oh, this is why he was acting this way. This is why Ram is doing this, this entire thing. And he suddenly became a uh, colonial uprising film and that kind of thing. But um, so I didn't really mind the, the placement of the flashback as much. Um, I think it... If you look at it less um, as a structure of an action film, as, but as the structure of a melodrama, it kind of works in that mm-hmm. way too. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a lot of Indian films are really, really drawing from that melodrama pool. Like this whole movie is mm-hmm. as much a melodrama as is, as it is an action epic, and that's why I think like the wholesomeness and like the the sincerity of all of its its motions work so well. Um, so yeah, basically, I'm just saying I really like this movie. <laughs> It, was, yeah. it reminded me um, what I love so much about Sam Raimi movies, too. Like, Sam Raimi's been on my mind because we just saw Doctor Strange, and I've been revisiting some of his stuff, too. And it's like, those Spider-Man movies, guys, like, just earnestness, right? Just mm-hmm. pure, like, 
I, I'm going through this harsh thing as Peter Parker. Like I'm, I'm just a guy trying to live my life and the entire world is against me. Like there is a level of earnestness. I feel like we don't see as much in, uh, in movies today, especially like superhero movies, which, you know, they're trying to be quippy. They're trying to be darker or something, but not right. Like this. Well, we, we we live in the age of the Joss Whedon superhero film and also the Zack Snyder superhero film, which is like almost anti that. And also the antihero. You know, yeah. like mm-hmm, th- mm-hmm. these are a lot of what populates our movie screens these days. Um, it, we don't have the old version of Su- we talked about this many times in the podcast. We don't have the old version of Superman where he's yeah. just into truth, justice in the American. They, way. they you know, tried like, to bring him back and they laughed at him. Yes. You know, so it's like I, and even that was before we went super snark and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a notion mm-hmm. that melodrama, which is typically associated with women's film genres, women's mm-hmm. stories, uh, is not masculine enough it's too feminine it's too weak but i think movies like rr show that you can be a super masculine (laughs) melodrama you can have that that pool between duty and and honor and family or love and still be the most hype most masculine most testosterone driven movie that you've ever seen Mm -hmm. the other movie that this kind of reminds me of in a weird way is point break yes Mm. you know absolutely Mm. yeah Mm, yeah, just because of the two guys falling in yeah. love with each other. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through the extreme. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Let me ask you guys this: uh, Do any of you have favorite sequence from the movie? I know it's very hard to choose. <laughs> uh, there's so many. Yeah, there's so many. But actually, the uh, you know the the actual there there is an actual rom com squished into this movie, and that is the whole uh, beam trying to uh, you know trying to hang out with the British girl. Like the one, the one white person in this movie who's not a monster, apparently mm-hmm. he's like, yes. he's totally for her. And uh, it's very cute. Seeing them try to communicate without, um, without being able to speak each other's language. He um, literally crafts yeah. a, a bracelet in yep. real time for yep. her. <laughs> it's beautiful. Which uh, another thing that I felt like uh, maybe in, there was a cut where that was seeded in some way that that was bracelet was a thing. Maybe, or maybe just culturally, I, I didn't know that that bracelet was because the, the girl reacts to it with such the little girl when she gets it reacts to it, which yes. looks, like I know this is something, but I was like, well, if we had seeded that earlier in the movie in some way to know that he was like, crafting something knowing that she would get a message mm-hmm. but it but it just it movie just goes hey yeah she yeah. likes yeah. she, she, she gets, gets it. it she gets yeah. it you get it come on yeah. keep up audience yeah i i have to say i think that the opening scene when ram is introduced i i yes. do think that just mm-hmm. inc- it's just yes. really incredible never seen anything like it right never seen, yeah well I, I think the last time i saw something like it was uh, Game of Thrones, Battle of the Bastards. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Or it was either that or Hard Home. I don't remember, but basically, like one the of these massive of bodies, battle episodes. Yeah. I think it was Battle of the Bastards, where like there's just this crush of humans like packed together in a configuration you haven't seen before, and the idea of like you know they're sending this guy to go arrest this person. And you're just like, well, that's impossible. There's no way they're ever gonna actually plausibly <laughs> yeah. depict this. And I don't know that they plausibly depict it, but sure. it is incredible how. They're like, we're going to do as good of a job as we can mm-hmm. to convince you that this is actually physically possible. This movie asks you to accept superpowers like from the beginning. It's like, okay, yes. you're yes. either with it or you're not. You know? and and I, I don't even, think, him, it's, yeah, I don't even mm-hmm. think it's superpowers. It's just his force of will. Yes. Yes. He just yeah. decides he will not be stopped. 
Yeah. And, and therefore and it's is not, not even that you know? physics defined because you feel the bone crunching, the blood and like the he gets hit on the yeah. head with a rock at one point and he still powers through. <laughs> yeah, it's that resilience, that force of will that he's just like, I'm going to do it. I'm just like my force of will is so powerful. I can just defeat a whole army of mm-hmm. people. And it's incredible. Yeah. And what's great about that scene, too, is it is a it's actually a sequence of interesting mini battles right mm-hmm. and, and what i mean by that is it's not just like oh he's like beating everyone over you know the head with a stick like 500 times it's like he encounters like a series of mini challenges uh along the way and they're all like kind of shot differently and the things that he does to get out of them are different it's, like um, it's just so creative you know yeah. like that how it's not it's not just like oh we're just going to show him like forcing his way through the crowd one by one it's like they actually want to make it interesting, and mm-hmm. um, and so not only is it an amazing character introduction that like sets up, hey, this is one of the biggest badasses of all time, uh, but then you know it's it's interesting from a filmmaking a filmmaking perspective, and then of course they throw in the social commentary too of uh, everyone that he did he got passed over for the promotion. Yeah, uh, which I like how you, you really don't promote brutal. that guy. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> which is just like, wow. I mean, it really does make these British yeah. colonialists into like complete monsters, which is yeah. just needs to try uh, a little harder, you know? Yeah, it's well, not fair. Yeah. I mean, I love, I think the thing that turns them into monsters even before that is the, the, the speech we get back to over and over about the price of a bullet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so such good writing. It's like, dude, the this life is not even worth wasting a bullet on. And then that first. That first woman that gets clocked in the face oh. with a oh, it's just brutal. Brutal, yeah, brutal. Yeah. I thought yeah. they killed her at the beginning. I thought they killed her, and then up, she shows, she up, at shows the up at the end. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, that could have been clearer movie before you cut the credits. Actually, <laughs> uh, let, let us know if the if the girl gets back to her mother. That'd be nice. Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in the background too. I love in the like the big like British assembly room. There's just a giant world map to be like, we own this shit over there, <laughs> Africa, South America. That's where my family's from, by the way. Uh, all over the place. We own it. It's ours. And uh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah. HT, any uh, favorite sequence in the movie for you? I mean, for me, I kind of go back to the more wholesome moments. I just love their first meeting. The best, mm-hmm. the most incredible uh, action-packed meet-cute where uh, a train, uh, I think, explodes or derails mm-hmm. and a child who was fishing uh, and trying to get a fish for Beam uh, is caught underneath it and there's fire all around him and uh, Ram is on the bridge and he they basically just signal to each other and they have an understanding with their eyes and their fists of how to save him. And uh, just the I, whole I mean, when sequence. That thing, when that train blows up in the water and that kid like flips over, like that kid's raft flips over and he hits the water and it's in like ultra slow motion. I'm like, wow, it looked like a kid got hurt filming this thing. Like, <laughs> it's, just, it's incredible how it's it's shot. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's shot with such, uh, uh, yeah, in just high intensity, high heightened everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when they when they do their dive off the bridge and uh, cover themselves with the wet flag, I couldn't get out more on the nose about the nationalist part about this movie. Uh, and then their their hands meet, and then of course it it um, goes immediately to the rom com montage. Just like that whole <laughs> like fifteen twenty minutes, I think is just like one of my favorite parts of the movie. Bro- well, it's so it's, funny it's- because I I didn't know anything about this movie before going into it, and so. The, when he like waves at him from the top of we should the, have live streamed your reaction to this movie because you <laughs> had no idea yeah no idea no idea uh he waves it to him from the top of the bridge you know mm-hmm. and you go oh go, and then and then they start like working together i'm like oh this is what a cool 
interesting way for the good guy and the bad guy to not realize that they, they found each other, mm-hmm. that they, you know, and mm-hmm. then, but then <laughs> I did not. And you get to the end of that series, like, oh man, they had to team up to save this kid. And they, and now it, the, the shit's really going to hit the fan. It's like, no, the exact opposite. <laughs> they, fall in love with each other it's that brother's thing are, are we yeah. best friends now yeah actually it's, that that was what i literally what, what i thought was when rom goes to the railing of the bridge and he looks out and sees beam there i thought he's like oh he recognizes yes. that's the dude right? that's yeah, what like, i thought yeah. too i thought yeah. oh my god oh oh maybe he's gonna have to use him to, to do so or he's got him pegged and but there's this yeah. other thing but like the movie just goes nope he they recognizes are. power. Power sees power. <laughs> yeah, that's power. it. Yeah. They climb game, a pyramid to get a human pyramid together. They yeah. break it. Game recognized game is what yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and they save the kid together. There the the lovely scene where uh Ram uh punctures the lady's tires. <laughs> and it's just this comedy scene of like him trying to help the guy get a date. Beautiful stuff. Like it, yeah. it is um so lovely. That's just pure comedy. It comes out of nowhere. Like it is so far removed from the <laughs> balls to the wall action we've been seeing. That is what I kind of loved about this movie too. Like it has room for everything. It can do it all. It yeah. can do yeah. it all. It can do it all. The yeah. the sequence where the um the guy um at the at the, at the big event maliciously trips uh beam and the the platter falls to the ground, but then keeps rolling and other stuff happens, but we keep going back and looking at the platter rolling, but then other stuff happens. And then we go back to the platter rolling yep. and then Rom goes over, picks up the platter, puts it, <laughs> turns it into a drum yeah. to, to, to like be a wingman for his bro. Yeah, it's that, like, that was that's a the movie when he Can we talk about during that sequence too? the one black drummer yep. in the, yep. in the band who was just like shaking his head. Cause he's like solidarity with other minorities. Well, the guy was stuff. like, hey, can you dance jazz or, or swing or something and the guy's yeah. Like, yeah can you dance swing but i also love how he totally knows what's going on it's like oh we're having a dance fight okay i'm gonna drum to the dance fight oh dude that sequence is so rad and it lasts so long and you just feel like how many days did it take to shoot this because the, the, they are they are dancing in with such violence and energy and mm-hmm. like it must have been exhausting this thing and they're just like going and going and going it's like yeah oh tom cruise could never you know he's done many <laughs> things but i don't know if he could do this tom cruise do an indian film challenge uh-huh. well he did yeah. uh was it uh tropic thunder we have tom cruise dancing That's you know true. but it's not not the same i also loved uh the, didn't he also dance in um the pt anderson movie what was that paul thomas anderson movie yeah uh, yeah, 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 Ris- yeah risky business i think is what you're oh. thinking of yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> The, I, I also love uh, the beam intro, you know, where he's, where he's uh, baiting the, uh, he thinks he's t- taking on a, a wolf and then he's, uh, yes. all of a sudden he's taking on a tiger. Uh, my favorite part of that sequence is the, uh, you know, he, he, he gets the tiger in the trap, but the trap isn't, uh, the, it, it's too strong. He has to use his in- incredible strength to just pull those two ropes together. And all he has to do is hook it. But no, no, that's not even what that goes wrong. Like the movie keeps going. Oh, he's only going to do one thing. But no, we up the ante again. And it's 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 yeah. so great yeah. of doing that over and over of building up the thing and then one upping the build up. Even I do love that we don't even know what that's for until like two <laughs> yeah. hours into the movie. Like, oh, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of animals. You're storing them up. It's yeah, great. yeah, 
Yeah. Amazing. Chekhov's and tiger. that sequence is amazing yeah. when all the animals uh, assault the thing because the, I love how the movie isn't like, no, these animals aren't trained for our heroes. They're just attacking anything. And so our heroes even have to fight off the animals or redirect the animals' rage to the right mm-hmm. direct. You know, it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. good. Another totally. piece of vengeance against the imperialists because they were hunting all the yeah. animals for, mm-hmm. their, for their pleasure. And now you can see them wreak revenge against them. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so good. Good stuff. All right, folks. Any other thoughts on RRR or shall we end it there? I mean, I, I feel like we're going to be t- coming back to this movie quite a bit. So this is our gushing session. Yeah. And maybe we'll have room for like other other deep yes. dive sessions. I mean, that's at some the point, problem. Is yeah. I just I want to keep just like, hey, remember that part? And that time. Remember that yeah. part? So oh, cool. yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll give a shout out to this. I thought uh, the flashback sequence was uh, pretty well done. You know, with mm-hmm. him and his father and Aim. the idea. Load. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the idea of like them like fighting off these guys and and making it try to make it plausible that one person could fight off like 500 dudes you know i thought that was yeah it, it felt very um there was also i got some 300 vibes too um yeah, yeah. there was uh the, the sequence when ram is introduced i think where he like pushes all these people off of a rock and it reminded me a lot of Zack Snyder mm. and, of course, the original 300 comic of, like, pushing all these people off this rock. And oh, it's better it, because he rolls down with and using their body to brace <laughs> him on the way down. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. So, anyway. I like that there's two heists in this movie, too. Just of the many things that are happening here, like, they not they hold not just one heist, but two heists. Like, the, the whole... Um, siege with the animals but then also when uh beam comes back to to rescue rom and he's like knocking on the fo- on the ground and trying to hear him i'm like oh there's like two heists in here <laughs> yeah oh lots of little things there's several foot chases that mm. are just uh so so energetic and so fast too like i i almost wonder sure the cg would have been tough to do like 10 years ago but i think the level of filmmaking here uh there's probably a lot of like uh smaller digital cameras from what i can tell like those running sequences alone seemed mm. really tough to shoot because they're moving hella fast yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. That, that whole sequence where uh beam gets away from um you know being out there to be uh, crucified in the middle of the desert or whatever that is and uh rom is just like taking down oh, yeah. dozens of dudes oh, at a time and to, then just he incredible. rolls onto a tree him. stump and like <laughs> it stabs him in the back yeah <laughs> Just to give him like an extra few seconds to run away, and he's just like holding like eight guys down by himself. Ah, oh, so... but then when Beam like doesn't understand what he's doing and like hits yeah. him in the he face, thinks he's like, shooting, Ooh. trying to shoot the girl. Yeah, yeah. Oh. oh yeah, so brutal, oh. brutal, amazing. Well, anyway, at the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that SS Rajamuli made this movie. I have to say, yeah. uh, and yeah, perhaps the that... greatest movie ever made. Give yeah. me, give me some behind the scenes, man. I want some BTS on this bad boy. I, I feel like this this was just this Herculean undertaking. To, yeah, like, this, this would movie. be. Yeah, that would actually. I don't want to see like the series version of this movie. I want to see like a series long behind the scenes, like making a featurette, like twelve. <laughs> yeah. episodes there needs to be a that. Matrix revisited esque, you know, documentary about uh, yeah. RRR. There's a bunch of shots in this movie where it feels like, oh my god. They, you know those uh, TikTok videos where the person like takes a pen and throws it across the room and it lands right in the pen container and yes, the only wow. way they did it is just brute forcing it, you know? <laughs> yes. It feels like there's a lot of that in this movie where ev- there's there are things that didn't feel CG to me that felt like they just brute forced the fact that everything just worked out just so and they just <laughs> did it over and over and over until until it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, Jeff, never thought I'd get a TikTok reference from you on the podcast. You know, nice. I... Uh, you know, I dabble. 
It's yeah, a good place to put some limericks. What the kids yeah. are up to these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, well, that's going to bring us to the end of our review of RRR. Super fun movie. Check it out on Netflix right now. And before I wrap up and talk about what we'll be discussing next week, I should mention that you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen over at The Midnight. Check out his new project, Varsity Blue. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs bumper comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Before I wrap up, I do just want to say, uh, Hui Chen Bui, thanks so much for joining us today. Anything you want to plug while you're on this podcast? Well, you can always find me uh, at SlashFilm.com. I'm on Twitter at HTranBui. Uh, and I also host my own Star Trek Doctor Who watch podcast, uh, Trekking Through Time and Space, available on all po- podcasting platforms. So there, that's where you can find me. And all thank right, you thanks. again for having me. Yes, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Okay, next week... On the podcast. Well, first of all, for the After Dark this week, we are going to be discussing Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, the fifth Jurassic Park movie. And next week, of course, it's going to be Jurassic World Dominion, which, as every day progresses, seems less and less likely like it's going to be number one at <laughs> the box office this summer. Yeah, and um, my anticipation for seeing that thing uh, <laughs> n- not getting any higher, especially after a movie like RRR. Yeah. N- not only not only RRR, but like the buzz is, is quite bad. On this movie, I, so I'm. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they messed up it's such a slam dunk concept as dinosaurs on Earth, uh, in you know in society. But we will mm-hmm. we will talk about both the fifth film and also uh, on the After Dark at Patreon.com/slash/filmpodcast and the sixth film next week right here on the Filmcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you later.